I don't even know how we begin this one. I guess we can begin with, you know, a little a little horror retrospective. Um, You watch anything this month that's really stood out to you? Oh, man, it'd be so funny if I was like, yeah. <laughs> if Letterboxd ever lets me log in, then I'll finally be able to pull this up. But yeah, I've seen quite a few things this October, actually. Uh, recently rewatched Lords of Salem. You hear about this? I saw, I saw that on your on your letterbox. You gave that a pretty damn high rating. Because it is real good. I'm assuming it doesn't surpass The Devil's Rejects for your favorite of his movies. I don't know. But, I don't know. Really? Wow. I don't think it does. But like, you know, I don't know. If we have a, if we ever do another hollow Halloween version of like the of the Mount Rushmore, maybe he's one to do because he's got a small enough filmography we could bang through it. Yeah, I mean, there's what like eight movies. Let's see if I can do this: House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects, Hall- Halloween One and Two. Oh shit! Nine movies. Lords of Salem. Thirty one. Uh, the monsters and the other the other house of a thousand corpses movie oh three from hell no i think you're right about eight i think you're right about eight i'm too tired to do math don't don't make me do it no Um, i'm not doing it either i watched uh mute witness i don't know if you ever heard of mute witness Mm -mm. banger from 95 it's about this like mute woman who witness is a murder or over here is a murder in Russia on a film set, and uh, no one believes her. Great little movie. And the other one I'll shout out is Wolf's Hole, which is a hilarious title for a movie um, from 1987. It's on Criterion from the woman who directed Daisies. Really interesting little Cabin in the Woods movie. Wolf Hole? Wolf's Hole. Wolf Hole. I don't know that one. Let me go to my diary real quick and see what see what i've seen that um i would constitute in the month of october is just pure horror cinema it's not horror but i still say if you want the best 76 minutes you'll spend in a day go see i married a witch it's also on criterion oh yeah i married a witch fucking slaps it's so much fun she put it on we put it on and she was like i don't know about this and then 10 minutes in she's like this is so much fun and i was like yeah i know like i was like and put something on to screw with you on the Criterion channel, I don't know how until, uh, Frankenhooker is a lot of fun. <laughs> that weird, that's on the Criterion channel, but yes. It's in their 90s horror. I bet it is. Yeah. It's it's certainly a, a movie. I feel like the Criterion, like the Criterion company is run by two brothers. And, like, the one brother who does all of the DVD releases is, like, like this real stuffed shirt, uptight guy. And then he goes, he goes, yeah. He goes, he goes, me, Leonard, I run the, I run the disc section. He goes, my brother Philip over there, he runs, he runs the channel. And it's just like, anything goes on here. And he's just, like, throwing whatever he can onto it. If I remember correctly, they had Basket Case on there for a little bit, right? I think they did. You could do a you could do a Hennenlauter double if you wanted to. That's fucking <laughs> that's nuts. Oh, and you know what? Thirty one is the other Rob Zombie movie that I would recommend, which we cosplayed as last night for a Halloween party. Oh, cute. Yeah. <laughs> In a way. In a way. Yeah. 
have you looked at any of the Todd Browning stuff yet from yours? No, I literally like I just I got it open last night late because uh, I'm me and I'm dumb and uh, I'm probably gonna flick on the unknown tomorrow night. Nice. We watched Freaks last night, and at one point she was like, "So this just happened, huh?" I said, "Oh yeah." I said, "Like I said, it's pretty wild to think like after the success of Dracula, Todd Browning was like, this is the next movie, and I'm gonna use real circus performers to do it." And I'm going to make it real upsetting. It's an hour and four minutes. It It's a, I think original runtime was somewhere like an hour 10, hour 11. Mm. It was, it was a little bit longer, but it was still very short. So I remember owning it on DVD before I had this, and I think I got rid of that DVD. The restoration to this is gorgeous looking. I'm so excited. I had a like an old disc rot DVD from fucking 20 years ago that I've just been mm-hmm. holding on to because I'm like, I can't get rid of it. It's Freaks. I love Freaks. I've never, I never don't know when I'm going to need to watch Freaks. <laughs> oh, and we saw Army of Darkness on Friday on a big screen, which fucking rocked. We were the only two people in there. That's sad. That's, that's really it sad, was, but, um... but also like she went in and she like w- as we walked in they had the poster on one of the like digital poster things and she saw it and she goes oh christ what is this and i was like what it looks great she goes why does this look like a romance novel cover and i said well it is kind of a romance in some ways i said like you'll see and then as the movie started and like the first time you see ash just get beaten up she just started laughing uncontrollably and proceeded to for the next 80 minutes. So you pretty just, happy you just, about that. You just, you just look at her and you go, congratulations, you now understand Army of Darkness. Yeah. I said, I said, and you got to see it the best way possible, like on a large format screen. She also was like, wow, he's really handsome. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is like the most handsome Bruce Campbell ever will be. Yeah. One time someone said I looked like Bruce Campbell and it was a it was a great I was like, oh, yeah, thank you. That's very nice of you to say that. And they're like, you also kind of look like Willem Dafoe. And I'm like, I don't know if that's nice anymore, actually. <laughs> you just look at your watch. You're like, well, 1230 this day is apexed. Let's go back inside. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It depends which Willem Dafoe. If they're like, you look like Willem Dafoe and Spider-Man, it's like, fuck you, buddy. But if they're like, you look like Willem Dafoe and the Loveless, you're like, OK. Okay. Yeah, if it's like young Willem Dafoe, then I'm like, all right. But like, I was like, <laughs> it's just like hot and cold, man. Hot and cold. Wow, you look like Eternity's Gate, William Willem Dafoe. <laughs> You're like, hey, hey, wait a minute. Not to give anything away in the conversation we're about to have, but a lot happier with this half of the list than I was your first half of the list. Um, I'm glad. It's a, it's a, yeah. it's still weird. It's still some some weird shit in here, but I think it's a lot of fun. Now we can get started. You just go ask Naomi to go get you that glass of milk that I have for you, and we'll uh, get in from there. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. End of your movie. Now you want more. Now you want more. all your insides
Welcome, everybody, to TWGTF, or as everybody knows it, from one end of the 80s horror spectrum to a much darker and twisted end of the 80s horror spectrum. You can guess whose that is. This is Two White Guys Talking Film. I'm, of course, your host, Ben, and joining me as always... I'm Tyler. How are you, my dude? I'm tired, but other than that, I'm, I'm very good. So we ended with you last time, so we begin again with me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, to kick off my number five, guys, if you felt like I wasn't doing my part last time on the show and I didn't bring you enough feel bad stuff, don't worry, because my first one is my feel bad of the list. And it's a movie from 1980. And you all ask yourself, why are these two marking out over so hard over this guy named Joe Spinell? Well, guys, it's because Joe Spinell is simply and perfectly put maybe one of the most effectively scary people in a movie in the 80s. And frankly, he's straight up a maniac. Ah! Somebody out there. Come on, let's go. Start the car. Come on, start the car. Let's go. Come on, let's go. Start the car. Start the car. Come in here. out of here what (laughs) there's no one else in this movie who you have to talk about i'm sorry (laughs) straight up a maniac you're not wrong no he's he's fucking nuts i think there's one other person this to her there's one other person we have to talk about in this movie but yes you're correct is it tom savini it's tom savini yeah (laughs) and his and his exploding head yeah you heard the story about that no, I don't think so, I have. Okay. All right. So it's obviously inspired by the Son of Sam murders, because it's which is hilarious. It's not hilarious. It's inspired by the Son of Sam murders. And it's, I think, funny to me that, that they shot that like three years after the Son of Sam murders happened, uh, which is, was 77, right? 77, 76. And Savini they wanted to do this scene like uh lustig kind of explained what he wanted to to do and savini was like well it'd be quicker and faster if i just did my head because i can make a mold of it like on over the weekend so i should play the character and they're like that's that's that sounds great and they like shoot the scene in this old car that savini had or something like that and because it was like guerrilla style, they like shoot it in New York at night with like a real oh, prop no. shotgun that goes, and they they do the one take that they they can do where they just blow up blow off Savini's head, and they just they they're like, okay, good, that's good, we got it. Print. They get all the equipment and they just left the car. <laughs> it just like fucking Jesus Christ got out of there. <laughs> It's absolutely fucking demented shit. They're just like, all right, let's in and out. 
I mean, like, someone was going to come across that car the next day. Yeah, pretty sure someone did. I would have at least left a note saying, like, this is not real blood. We shot a movie. I don't think they had a permit for, like, literally any of the shots that they had. Oh, I don't think they did either. This movie feels very much like a DIY, like, we made this, like, by the skin of our teeth kind of movie. The shots in the subway alone are... Oh terrifying for that reason you know before we get before we get into it any further what what is this movie about Ben? you said it it was shot like three years after the son of sam murders and it's kind of based on us it's about this very unhinged deeply disturbed individual named frank zito who goes out every night played by joe spinell and just butchers women um, and tom savini <laughs> yes tom savini he deserved it though you know I mean, I like that his name in the in the credits is Disco Boy. Yeah, it's Disco Boy and Disco Girl. It was funny. We were watching it, and there's that shot of New York. And I was like, God, look how greasy and grimy New York is. I said, just look at all the filth. And then it cuts to those two women. And I go, oh, just every corner, there was just women just trying to make a buck the old-fashioned way. And she goes, you know, that's not right of you to just assume, and the woman just immediately goes, gotta make one more trick to make rent. And she goes, well, never mind. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, yeah. I said, I said, in this movie, they're all prostitutes. No, there's a nurse. Oh, yeah, and a photographer, that's true. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's women, women doing it for themselves, you know? I will say, the movie does a good job of I don't know if it does a good job or if it just is of depicting women as things the way that Frank Zito would see them, which I think kind of works into it's like dual aesthetic of this like guy who goes out and is like a violent sociopath murderer and also guy who has a bunch of mannequins. Where did you first see this? Were you too young like me? This is your fault, actually. You, when we were originally going to do the 80s for the decade of horror, I think we were originally, before we split it up, you said, okay, um, we're going to do the 80s of horror. And I was like, huh. And I started like researching films. And then I was like, do you have any suggestions? And you're like, well, if you haven't seen Maniac, you should probably watch Maniac. Because if it's not going to be on your list, it's going to be on my list. And then I saw Maniac and I was like, no, this is going to be on my list. I'm pretty sure. And I didn't think it would jump this high, but damn, like, I'm very impressed with how high this jumped. It's just, it's a movie that makes you feel just real bad. It's just real, real bad. It is relentlessly scary. Like, she didn't understand it, and I don't think she understood it because I think she's kind of been so desensitized to other horror. But that scene in the subway, man, it's still fucking terrifying. It got me so badly the first time I watched it that I still think about it to this day. Um... I think specifically it's the scene where he is following the nurse and there's this look he gives the camera that just has always upset me. And I think about it every time I watch the movie. Very unnerving. What's your favorite scene? That pursuit in the subway is like maybe one of the more like unsettling, like five to seven minutes in a movie in the eighties. Like, I mean, just like, I mean, it's kind of just Spinell's performance. That is my favorite scene. Like, just anytime Spinell is just kind of like, because you can see him like, it's weird to say Spinell is an actor who you can watch him thinking his way through a performance, but he does it in a way that it actually kind of helps the performance. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, a very good way of 
of of putting it. He's he. I mean, I think one of my favorite Spinell performances is in a movie called Ninth Configuration, which is when we do the seventies. <laughs> anyway, uh, is it a seventies movie? Am I am I stupid? No, it's an eighties <laughs> movie. It should be on this list. Fuck. Anyway, whatever. That's fine. He gives this, like, really, really strange performance as, like, a friend of uh, a guy. And the longtime urban legend is that actor showed up to set and was like, you're giving a role to my friend. And his friend was just, <laughs> no. <laughs> and so he's not even meant to be in the movie, but he's still, anytime he's on screen, you're like, what's that guy's fucking problem? Like, what's his deal? He steals scenes. So, like, he, he steals every scene he's in. Because he's just doing something that you just don't, you just weren't expecting to see. I don't know. I made the joke that Joe Spinell has an everyman body, as an everyman hopes they don't get that body at some point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. He's kind of fearless, too. Like, you look at this guy and you're like, you know, if a couple of things had shifted the other way, I think everyone would know who Joe Spinell is. I think so, yeah. Um, he's in... A bunch of your favorite movies, you know? Even if oh, you yeah. don't know who Joe Spinell is, you've seen him. Like, let's just look at the first four movies that come up on IMDb. Taxi Driver, Rocky, Maniac, and The Godfather Part Two. I mean, three of the four of those are maybe some of the biggest movies of the fucking 70s. And not to mention, he's also in Sorcerer. He's in... Um, yeah. cruising he's in the fir- both of the godfather movies he's also in a bunch of just like wonderful cult movies like stay hungry the ninth configuration which i've already said forbidden zone even if you don't think you've seen like i said even if you don't think you you know joe spinell or like joe spinell you you know we're like joe spinell you like you just you just do everybody does <laughs> it's true and why should this be on the list? I think I, I have an argument for why it should be on the list if you, if, if you don't. I, I don't think there is a more singular performance on my list. Like, I feel like if you look at my list, that this would be the runaway Best Actor nominee for, like, the 80s horror nominations. It would certainly be the probably the winner for like I think in my opinion and would definitely be the favorite if it's if not the winner. I just don't think anyone comes close to like doing what he does in this movie. Like a, in terms a, of like playing and he's not likable. He's fucking horrible. No, it's a fucking gross performance. It is it like makes her skin skin crawl. No matter how much they tried to capture that in the remake by um Frank Colfon starring Elijah Wood. It's just not. You're never going to be able to do it. Really? Elijah Wood plays this character in a remake? Yep. It's interesting. I wouldn't say don't watch it, but I really I don't like it. Well, I think the biggest problem with what you just said right there is like the other thing that you don't know about Joe Spinell till you see him is Joe Spinell seems like a dude who could easily choke the shit out of like a prostitute or like a nurse like in a subway. Like, I don't buy that from Elijah Wood. He seems very small. Well, also, Joe Spinell has a fucking weird-looking... is a weird-looking dude. Not to disparage the dead, but he kind of looks 
Nice like character actor. How serial killers look, especially in this movie. You just go, yeah, I can see that guy being a murderer. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. I think that's everything I want to say about about good old maniac. Uh, it's great. I mean, like I said, guys, if you turn out all the lights when you get to the subway scene where the nurse is trying to get home, and tell me that doesn't scare the shit out of you, because it does for me. Make sure you have a shower on hand nearby available no one's in the bathroom so that as soon as the soon as the movie is over as soon as the movie is over you just run in there yeah that's very very true because that movie makes you feel gross it makes you feel real bad does your number five make you feel bad no but if someone was like it makes me feel bad then then yeah i would i would say yeah i wouldn't argue <laughs> Why don't you take us into your number five? My number five is probably the, uh, I would say, the softest film on my list, directed by long time, long time TV uh, television director and producer William Asher, probably best known for producing shows like I Love Lucy and Bewitched, starring Susan Tyrell, Jimmy McNichol. Julia Duffy and Bo Stevenson, and framed as an Oedipus tale, it is about a teenager who, raised by a neurotic aunt, finds himself at the center of a murder investigation. That is, of course, originally released in 1981 under the name Night Warning. Bad name. It's been since restored to its original, slightly better name, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. You're late, and I'm fixing your favorite. The meat sauce will never forgive you. I had to take Julie home. I had a long talk with Coach Landers this afternoon. He's got great news. Oh. Yeah, see, he thinks I can get a full scholarship to the University of Denver. And there's a scout, he's coming out to our next game. Well, what do you think, huh? What do I think? Forget it. You've got a job next year. I've set it all up. Yeah, but this is a full athletic scholarship. Denver. That's where Julie's going, isn't it? Yeah. Gee. That'd be nice. The college is for rich kids and people with brains. You wouldn't fit in there. You never said that before. You always said we couldn't afford it. You didn't say you didn't want me. Well, I don't want you to. We can't afford it. Besides, I thought you were going to stay here and contribute something. All we have left is Mommy's house. But I was figuring you'd sell this place. It's too big for you anyway. All my life, I have lived in this house. All my memories are in it. And they're not for sale. And as far as I'm concerned, you owe me. For the past 14 years, I've sacrificed everything to bring you up. Yeah, You're the man of this house. I'm going to get that scholarship if I can. I'm going away to school and no one's going to stop me, not even you. You upset me. I'm going to go upstairs and lie down and cook your own meal. You drink it! <laughs> I watched this at work one day just off and on and then 
about 25 minutes in, I turned it off and I said, no, no, this movie deserves me sitting at home on a big screen watching this. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I've seen two Susan Tyrell movies in the last month, the other one being Flesh and Blood. And I'm now kind of tempted to try to watch every Susan Tyrell movie. She's so good. Um, you've seen three Susan Tyrell movies. Um, do you recognize her from a show, from a movie that we did on this podcast? Oh, I do. She's from Fat City. She's from Fat City. Yeah, Oscar nominee Susan Oscar, Tyrell. Yes, as with she maybe the be. best IMDb photo ever. Her Wikipedia photo is also very good. That's how you know she was good to the people. You know. You got a good IMDb photo. You got a good Wikipedia photo. Ooh, that is a good photo for Susan Tyrell on Wikipedia. Oh, that's good. Oh, wild. That, oh, yeah. She is She is almost not wearing a shirt there. All right. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. It's just, it's true. I'll say this. She is fucking fearless in this movie. She's giving a hell of a performance. <laughs> She's, she's outdoing the dialogue, and the dialogue is not good. She's swinging above the 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 weight of the movie. It's crazy. So this movie was originally written by Alan J. Gluckman. Um, there's a couple other people who wrote it. He's, I would say, the one credited with the story the most. And it's interesting because he later came out as gay, but said that like he was dealing with it at the time, but it, he wasn't like fully out yet to himself and so he said a lot of the, the the homosexual stuff was like kind of um it was like intentional but a lot of the stuff with the main character was like they're just kind of like oh yeah <laughs> i guess that does yeah <laughs> it's kind of accidental because it seems like it's all people like i don't know do you know who William Asher is? Had you ever heard of him before? No. What's funny is he's he's a long time, like I said, long time writer and director for television shows dating back to the 50s. He literally directed the, wow, that's an old person reference from um, I Think You Should Leave, uh, the Colgate Comedy Hour. It's a real thing. He directed it. He also directed some movies back in the day, none of which... I know much about there's like seven beach party movies in there, including beach blanket bingo and how to stuff a wild bikini. And then it is a golf for about 20 years. And then he, then he makes butcher maker nightmare maker. So interesting career. He originally wasn't supposed to direct it. Another guy was supposed to direct it with John DeBont playing, uh, doing the cinematography. But they shot the opening scene where the car accident happens, and it took so long and was so expensive that they were just like, no, what the fuck? You're not <laughs> finishing this movie. And so Asher came in, who was a producer on the film, uh, stepped in to, to, to finish helming it. You spent all your money on the opening crash scene, and it's not that important. They spent a lot of money on the opening crash scene. It's it's kind of impressive looking, actually. It's it's really good. I'm glad they spent all that time on it, but got a week. That does seem like an inordinate amount of time. But that being said, the opening crash scene is deeply important to tell us what is this movie about. 
This movie is about a young man and his adopted aunt after his parents died in a car accident, was left with him. And he's in a relationship with this woman, Julia, uh, played by Julia uh, Duffy. His aunt he murders a man who ends up being in a same-sex relationship with Billy's coach. And then there is an awful cop named Joe Carlson, who's played by the great Bo Svensson, who is, like, sure that, 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 that Billy did it. With, like, no real evidence, he just is like, nah, Billy did this. And is just constantly berating him, just finding new ways to berate him. All the while, Susan Tyrell uh, is giving a powerhouse performance as one of the great, great exploitation cinema legends in this movie. This is technically under a subgenre of a subgenre called exploitation. Have you ever heard of that? It, I, I kind of understand what it means by just that name, but I don't think I'd ever heard of it. I mean, it, it's pretty self-explanatory, but I think the best example I can give is, like, whatever happened to Baby Jane. That's uh, probably the gold standard, if I, I had to guess, but I know what you mean now. That makes yeah, a lot of sense. Th- that was kind of the inspiration for this movie. Um, and I think it makes the... By using that in, like, the slasher archetype, it kind of subverts the final girl trope it's a really interesting movie and it doesn't fit very nicely into the slasher oeuvre well i want to get one thing straight before we move on the cable guy was a queer the coach is a queer and billy's a queer that's the thing (laughs) samuels when he does that and i'm using a better word than he uses because boy do they drop the f word so many times in this movie it's one of the few movies where I'm like, that's probably how they said it in the 80s. That's probably how often they used it. Oh, yeah. Like, you can feel like you're like, you've said that word to people in real life like that, haven't you? Like, oh, that's, yeah. That's, yeah, that's how that word comes out of your mouth. But yeah, like, at first I didn't understand. And now that you've explained that that guy came out as gay later and was working through stuff at this point, I was sitting there during the movie. And I was like, this weird gay subplot is very strange and feels almost unnecessary but now that i'm hearing that i'm like oh okay you work through your stuff buddy it's like unnecessary and then you have like this like homoerotic tension with bill paxton's character who's in it for like two minutes and it's who's great in a, who's in it for like two has like three scenes and gets fucking milk thrown on him awesome fantastic this movie on paper should not work absolutely should be a fucking mess like the original cinematographer and director getting fired after like essentially a week of shooting where they only shot one thing it being directed by a guy who hadn't directed anything in like 20 years it being a movie that like didn't get a release when it first came out it was shown in corvallis and in salem and that's it both places in oregon and then got, like, a VHS uh, release in 1983 under the name Night Warning. What is Night Warning? What What is that about? What does that mean? Way worse title. I mean, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker doesn't really make a lot of sense, but it makes more sense than Night Warning. 
it, it it gives you a little bit of what it's about. I mean, oh, Butcher Baker Nightmare, you're like, okay, it's about like a crazy mom, right? Maybe, I don't yeah. know. There's some family stuff in there because that's clearly like a nursery rhyme. But like Night Warning, I'm like, that could be fucking any. That could be aliens. That could be, <laughs> it could be a slasher movie. That could be anything. Yeah, it's very true. It is not nearly as explaining. Could be a Twilight Zone episode. Other. It really Who could knows? be. What is your favorite scene in this? I love the basketball scene, but I also there's something about when Susan Tyrell's character finally snaps and like the way that like her 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 shoulders get slumped and she's like holding like the meat tenderizer that is just so both funny and unsettling that I think that that's like not even not only my favorite scene, but probably just my favorite moment in the whole movie. When she first shows up and she's cut her hair, I remember just being like, oh, we've entered the final form of what will become. Okay, cool. Like, (laughs) it's funny, too, because if you want to pair this with something not on either of our lists, this and the stepfather, I think, would go together, like, so perfectly. I think you're you're very right. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. And... Her just kind of snapping is your, yeah, that is really good. It's really good. Oh, she's walking around with like slumped shoulders and she's got like the meat tenderizer. And it's, it's, that's, that's a lot of fun. Well, I'll give you credit too. His girlfriend is double tough. I keep thinking she's going to get killed and she just keeps coming back. She gets hit in the head with a meat tenderizer. That hurts. That's, all, that's, that's big pain. And then she's just, she's just there with like a, with probably a concussion. Is the funniest moment of the movie where it gives you like that he was acquitted, like super like and tells you that he's now at college. It's like, I didn't need to know that. I assumed he was acquitted. It's very funny. I was like, yeah, no, he's good. Don't worry about it. And then you're like, oh, yeah. wait, you're telling me about this kind of makes me worry about it. I'm like, no, 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 Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, because he's like, it's like these aren't real people like, like yeah. these, these are, these it's are fictional characters. It's based on a true story. <laughs> You're like, is it? You start looking into it further. You didn't ask me how I how I first how I came across this. You know, I didn't. You're right. How did you come across this? Up here in Portland, the video store <laughs> that I, that is still local. Next time you're in town, I have a car now. I'm gonna clip you with it. Like, oh, keep keep oh, making these jokes. Oh no, um, the uh, they have a they had a class. I think they still do have a class that uh, it was 80s horror movies, and of like, of course. I see something called 80s horror movies. I'm like, yes, please. This was the only one of the four movies in the lineup that I had not seen. And so I was like really excited to see it for the first time. And when we watched it, I was like kind of blown away by like how. Just just how the how of it all. And I was like immediately like to my wife, I was like, babe, you got it. There's this movie. It's got a really dumb name, but you got you would love it. And she was like, well, well. and then we took it again the following time it happened. And she was like, yeah, no, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker fucking <laughs> rules. <laughs> and I was like, I was right. I don't think it's my favorite thing on the list of this of the second half that I've discovered, but it's a solid number two. There's something coming up that I like more. I think we'll, I know what it we'll is. Just, do you think you know what it is? It rhymes with Schmed and Schmarried. Maybe it does. Maybe it does. Who knows? I'll tell you 
too, you're gonna be having a you're gonna be having a talk with the law about one of your movies as well. So oh, oh yeah, no, just just know, just know that coming oh, up as well. Oh man, is it about a yeah. schmocker smurfs? Maybe it is. We'll find out. Right. But my last question to you is: Why does Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker deserve to be on the list? Because I think it's a pretty. It's not obviously not the earliest example of queer horror. Uh, James Wally exists, but it shows that horror can be about. Aside from it just being like a really good undersea movie, it also shows that exploitation cinema can be about things like homosexuality and like accepting oneself and, you know, and it can also come from anywhere. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be like some regional director. It can be like a pretty medium sized production from a old television director. You know what I mean? Like, exploitation can come from within the house of the of the system so you know we don't always have to look for these regional renegades or these like outlaw producers we can we can you know what i mean like it can be a production piece with people like bill paxton and uh susan tyrell in it and also it's just a lot of fun and i want people to see this movie i think it deserves more eyes you got everything you've wanted to say about butcher baker nightmare maker out of the way yeah, great movie. Makes me so scared of a meat tenderizer, just in general. Okay, we'll move on to my number four. And my number four, and, and I'll be interested after the clip to hear if Tyler agrees with this. At one point, I think Steven Spielberg was not only the goat of making movies, but I think Steven Spielberg was the goat of producing movies. And I don't know if there's a finer example than 1984 when Steven Spielberg put his name on the top of it with the words presents about a little town where a man comes home after selling his wares on the road and brings his son a Christmas present. And that Christmas present is a little creature named Gizmo. And luckily Gizmo is easy to deal with. You just got to follow three rules. Don't get him wet. Keep him out of bright light and never, ever, ever feed him after midnight. That's right, guys. It's the movie that stars Zach Galligan, Phoebe Cates, Hoyt Axton, Key Luke, Corey Feldman, Judge Reinhold, Francis Lee McCain, and Dick Miller. This is 1984, directed by Joe Dante, in what I'm going to argue is his most accomplished movie, even if it's not my favorite of his, Gremlins. What is it? Mogwai. What's he doing? Singing. He does that sometimes. I gotta have him. He's incredible. Tell you what I'll do. I'll give you a hundred dollars for him. No. Look, I've gotta have him. It's a present for my son for Christmas. It's exactly what I've been looking for, and I've been everywhere. I'll give you two hundred dollars. That's two hundred dollars. I'm sorry. Mogwai, not for sale. I thought you said everything at your grandfather's store was for sale. Grandfather! With Mokwai comes much responsibility. I cannot sell him at any price. Wait outside a moment. I'll be right out. Just go. Mr. 
Here it is. Oh, right. What about your grandfather? Forget what he said. He's crazy. We need the money. Now, come on. You want it or not? I want it. Look, mister. There's three rules you've got to follow. You have what kind of rules? Keep him out of the light. He hates bright light, especially sunlight. It'll kill him. And keep him away from water. Don't get him wet. But the most important rule, the rule you can never forget, no matter how much he cries, no matter how much he begs, never, never feed him after midnight. You got it? Sure, kid, whatever you say. Hey, listen, thanks, and have a Merry Christmas. You know, I was surprised when I saw your list and saw that Gremlins was on it, because I always, in my head, assumed that Gremlins is a late 80s movie. I don't know why. Maybe it's because Gremlins 2 is, like, from the from 1990s, from 1990, exactly. But I just always assumed that it was, like, 87, 88, but nope, 84. It is surprising that it takes six years to get another Gremlins movie. I mean, he does he does a bunch of other movies. He does Explorers and Inner Space and The Burbs. I'm not going to talk about Amazon yep. Living on the Moon. No one should have to be forced to... To, to know what that movie is, so I like I, Amazon Women on the Moon. It's not necessarily about. It's just it's making more of a fact that Landis was a part of it. No, we're past him. <laughs> and then Gremlins too, and I think he kind of have this like weirder second half to his career, where he's making a lot of a lot of different stuff. Anyway, when we were talking about. American Werewolf, I think I, I, re- I mentioned that that was kind of like the start of the comedy horror, like being a genre that can really sustain itself in Hollywood. I think this is the other big, big, big cornerstone of that. Now, while I will agree with you that this movie does have moments of humor if you put this on and then put gremlins 2 on immediately after it this is so much darker like this is actually a horror movie whereas gremlins 2 is a comedy movie masquerading as a horror movie if you want to talk about one of the single scariest moments in a movie in the 80s when the song do you hear what i hear starts playing like that sends chill anytime i hear do you hear what i hear during the holidays i'm like fuck there might be a Gremlin about. Best go get that baseball bat up and keeping. <laughs> I was too old the first time I saw this, I think, to really get it's actually scary. I think now it's more of it was more of yeah, I could see where as a kid this would be very scary. I think this being a staple of the fat reason we have a PG thirteen classification because they were unable to really understand where this was supposed to land because <laughs> it's kind of PG. It's kind of not. Yeah. I think it's also pretty clearly Joe Dante's best movie. Yeah. I think like now, in my opinion, I love the burbs. I think the burbs is my favorite Joe Dante movie. I think it's just like, I, I don't know what it is about that movie that speaks to me. I think it's the fact that like for a small time I lived in a neighborhood and I'm like, yeah, I buy that. I buy that can happen in neighborhoods. But in terms of a technical accomplishment, just the fact that there's, like, almost no CGI in this movie. Like, this is all puppetry. And it looks incredible. Like, they had to build those little fuckers. 
Yeah, I mean, Howie Menzel showed up as Gizmo on the set. You know, that's that's crazy. You know, just like that, that Roger Rabbit guy. Yeah, just like that Roger the Rabbit guy. I mean, and here's the thing, too. The other difference between this and Gremlins 2, like, watch the scene where Gizmo gets water on him in Gremlins 1. Like, the look of pain on his face is so detailed and incredible. The way that they make Gizmo look different, like, the scene where he's having darts thrown at him, there's genuine terror on that fake little puppet's face and you're just like oh my god i think it's because this movie was more intended to be a horror movie where the second one was intended to be like a black comedy yeah oh it totally makes sense i'm not taking anything away from it but like they're legitimately scary moments like the character of stripe is a fucking horror icon oh yeah love stripe uh, but to go back to what I said, Steven Spielberg, at one point, the goat of producing movies. I mean, he's got another movie. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it. Never mind. No, you're not wrong. There's another movie coming up on my list that is before this that he produced as well. Uh, don't. Well, they don't let him know. <laughs> Look, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this movie. I've been waiting two years to talk about that movie. It's coming. Don't worry. <laughs> Oh man, um, I, I, I'm looking at the time. Don't think we're going to be able to get it to it today. So I'm gonna. No, no, we'll 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 finish up. We'll do what we did last time. I'm gonna very much enjoy w- making Naomi watch uh, that movie with me. You almost said it. You almost, I almost said it. You yeah. heard. You heard nothing. When was the first time you heard about this movie? <laughs> I got to imagine Gremlins was something I came across in the video store, and you know, our parents are great people. They raised two pretty normal they raised two people honestly like my mom i probably handed it to her and she's like pg you'll be fine and it was like this was a mistake oh yeah here's the thing i want to ask you in this movie everyone who's kind of a shit gets what's coming to them right yeah like that that old bitch gets hers which by the way I'm so glad she died. Like, I know that's not a good thing to say, but fuck her. Like, I'm glad her ass gets launched out of that window and those gremlins. Like, it's the one thing where I feel like they should build a little statue to the gremlins being like, yeah, they wrecked most of our town, but they killed Mrs. Deagle. Fuck her. Like, that's what the whole statue would say. (laughs) I like the idea of a statue just being like brackets. Fuck that person. But here's my question. Not unlike the movie Halloween from 2018, nothing bad happens to Judge Reinhold. Like, I kept waiting for him to get killed. There was something about Reinhold. No one wanted to do it to him. But they should have. Like, because he's kind of an ass. Like, or he's not kind of, he is an ass. Yeah, like, throughout that whole whole thing, though. Yeah, it's weird. He doesn't get his comeuppance. And you're like, well, it's him. And it's like the bank owner I don't even really blame like he's kind of just like a he's just kind of a cuck to mrs deagle but it's like you think him and him and mrs deagle are gonna get it and reinhold never shows up again after that scene no that was just something about his fucking whole deal like i know he was what super popular in is this before or after fast times Ridge behind this is after right that is a good question let me take a look because Phoebe Cates is also Fast Times Ridge Mahai. Yeah, Fast Times Ridge Mahai 82. So this is like peak Reinhold-a-mania, running wild in the streets. 
Um, I mean, he has this and Beverly Hills Cop in the same year. Like, yeah. that has to be his apex. Yeah, because he does a Roadhouse movie that isn't the Roadhouse movie um, in 85. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he, he, he kind of falls off pretty hard after that. Not that he isn't getting work. It's just in movies that aren't real, like <laughs> ruthless people. What the fuck is that? I know it's a You've Zucker, never heard of ruthless people? Zucker people. No, I've never heard of Zucker. No, I no. believe that, it's, if I'm not mistaken, it's, it's a, a Zucker Abrams Zucker movie. Um, people who did airplane. Oh, yeah. Um, and it starts Bette Midler and Day DeVito. So it should be a movie that I've heard of, but the fact that I haven't, that says something, yeah. I know they kidnapped Nine, Bette Midler. $9 million budget to $71 million box office. Man, they're just people just living life out here, huh? Just, DeVito um, had the juice at one point, man. You put DeVito in a movie, he you were showing people were showing up. He did have the juice. It's what a strange world we live in. Where, like, they allow Danny DeVito to be a star? Well, yeah, where Danny DeVito can be such a big star that he gets to make Throw Mama from the Train. I kind of love Throw Mama from the Train. No, they're not bad. I'm not in a bad movie. It's, I'm just saying. Oh, okay. Strange world. You're not wrong. What's this movie about? I told you. He gets a he gets a little a little guy for Christmas, and unfortunately, Billy doesn't listen to those rules. It's gremlin. Well, one of the rules, don't feed him after midnight, is stupid and i've always hated that rule because i'm like well what How does, does that, that work yeah, yeah what does that mean like does that mean like like when can i start feeding them it's technically always after midnight yeah exactly like uh i guess does that mean i'm just like supposed to feed them in the morning and then at night but like not too late at night and then you can't get them wet it's like how do you bathe them it's I kind of believe that they're self-sustaining bathing, like almost like a cat, kind of like they clean themselves. You would assume. And then they're like, oh, man, those furballs got to be rough. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the rules are kind of dumb, but if you don't pay attention to them, it's still a lot of fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the rules are there because you got to you got to have rules. True. Very true. And. Like, is it just water that does it to them? Like, if I spill, like, a Coke on them? Yeah, wet is also pretty nebulous. Like, can I, what, like, what, what is it just, yeah, like you said, is it just water? Or is, like, tea also involved? Because that's basically water. See, and that was the 80s, though. You could have a dumb premise like this with, like, really, like, stupid rules. And people were just like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, yeah, I, I accept that. I mean, yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. We're yeah. wrong. No, we are we are definitely we're not wrong. right. We're in the wrong here. This is that's certainly. Um, you gave us a rundown of what it, what it's about, but um, yeah. I would like to ask you, what's your favorite scene? The one person who is completely underused in this movie is Phoebe Cates, and the only thing that makes up for it is that monologue she gives about Christmas and why she hates it. Now I have another reason to hate Christmas. Okay, what are you talking about? The worst thing that ever happened to me was on Christmas. God, it was so horrible. It was Christmas Eve. I was nine years old. Me and Mom were, were decorating the tree, waiting for Dad to come home from work. A couple hours went by. Dad wasn't home. Mom called the office. No answer. 
Christmas Day came and went, and still nothing. So the police began a search. Four or five days went by. Neither one of us could eat or sleep. Everything was falling apart. It was snowing outside. The house was freezing, so I went to try to light up the fire. And that's when I noticed the smell. The firemen came and broke through the chimney top. And me and Mom were expecting them to pull out a dead cat or a bird. And instead, they pulled out my father. He was dressed in a Santa Claus suit. He'd been climbing down the chimney on Christmas Eve, his arms loaded with presents. He was going to surprise us. He slipped and broke his neck, died instantly. And that's how I found out there was no Santa Claus. That is the scene of the movie, right? Like, that's... That's it. That's the one. And I will say, they get, they make it up to her in the second one because she has a lot more to do. And then they completely negate that scene by giving her almost the same scene, but then they completely gloss over it in the second one, which is very funny. kind of like that. Dante's a really funny dude. I have this thing with Dante where I'm like, uh, yeah, and then other movies I'm like, no, that's good. You know, like, I like The Howling, I like uh, Matinee, but other movies I'm like, eh, not a a small soldier's fan. Anyway, he's, this is, I think, his, my, probably my favorite of his movies, which is not, not a hot take at all. This is, like, just his most accomplished movie. This is where everything kind of just rolls together. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say The Howling, but yeah, I think this... I was also going to say Looney Tunes back in action, but, you know, I think I think you're right. You know, that's a movie I've got to relook at, because I keep hearing people say that's a masterpiece. Oh, I don't know if I'd say it's a masterpiece. It's certainly a movie-like object. Interesting. It's, it's definitely very weird in of its era. They were really hoping to have a second Space Jam. Yeah, they probably were, weren't they? You can you can tell me why it's on the list. Honestly, it's a movie where, like, if you, like, if someone came up to me and they said, my seven-year-old really wants to watch a horror movie, but I'm not comfortable showing them any horror movie, what would you recommend? I'd be like, you should show them Gremlins. They're not going to be afraid of Gremlins. Because, like, they're kind of ridiculous at one point. Like, I almost feel like that movie is scary with the Gremlins up until the moment where, like, he looks through the window of the movie theater and he goes, they're watching Snow White, and they love it. And then it gets scary again when Stripe shows up with a chainsaw and tries to, like, fucking murder Billy. I mean, who wouldn't show up with a chainsaw and try try to murder Billy? I mean, I wouldn't. It sounds like you've got a real bone to pick with Zach Galligan, but... You know, you know, you know, you never... Really, it's not... I I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. He never really did much, did he? 
No, the only one, not the only one of this crew, but the only one to really, he's, he's kind of the, the guy from, who's the guy, I'm oh, sorry, who's the guy from American Werewolf in London? Oh, or, yeah. What is his name? Anyway, him. That guy. Uh, he d- did do the movie Nothing Lasts Forever, which I don't know if you've ever heard of, uh, by Tom mm-hmm. Schiller. It's a movie that uh, literally does not exist. It was never given a proper release date from MGM. They postponed it, postponed it, and then it just kind of ended up in the vaults. Um, it's been released a couple of times, just by accident, or someone put it on YouTube. In 2015, it played as part of TCM's Underground Block. And then I think recently this year had a screening and there's been talk of it maybe coming out, but yeah, it's never been released, but it's considered like one of the lost movie that is really good. Nothing lasts forever. He did that. Uh, He also did waxwork, which is, a movie. Yeah, but not much else. That I know, anyway. Sometimes he peaks super early, and that's that's just kind of... I mean, he's in one of the most memorable movies of the 80s, probably. Like, if you were to say, what are, like, the 10 movies of the 80s you think of, like, that, like, kind of defined, like, especially if you grew up in the 80s, like, let's say you're, like, 12 when the 80s start. Like, this is probably one of those movies. Uh, yeah, I think this is probably the one that 80s people are most annoying. Well, one of them that they're most annoying about. Um, up here, it's 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 uh, it's the ghoulies. People love the ghoulies up here. That's Kmart gremlins. <laughs> yeah, it's also or it's it's was shot in Astoria, so it makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think we've spoken enough about gremlins. Why don't we move on to your number four? My number four is a movie that I think I would bet. Good, good money that Ben had not seen this before we did this episode. Man, a lot of my movies coming out in 1981. 1981 horror film directed by Gary Sherman, starring Melody Anderson, Jack Albertson, and James Farino. It was a video nasty in the UK. It was written by Dan O'Brannon and Ronald Shusset. Used some Stan Winston special effects. It's, of course, the cult film. The bomb at the time, 1981's Dead and Buried. Mr. Lemoyne's signs are much more stable today, Doctor. Good, let me see the chart. It's time for his medication now, isn't it? Mm-hmm, it is. Hmm. Well, I think I'll cut it down. Uh-huh. Just give him 50 cc's now. I'll be back within an hour. Yes, doctor. Doc? It's okay, Dan. Come on in. They told me downstairs he pulled out of a coma. How's he doing? Uh, it's touch and go. We might pull him through, but... Even if we do, there's not much the best plastic surgeon can do. You saw him. His entire 
face is one charred mass. In the right eye, I'm afraid that's possible. Doc, is there any chance I could talk to him? Dave him briefly. Just Dan, for a I'm moment. Afraid it's Doc, I've got to find out what the hell really happened. Uh, sit down, Dan. Sit down. I'm sorry. Sit down. Ah. This thing's got me spooked. Look, has he said anything at all? No. Nothing. Oh, and I'll tell you, Dan, I'm afraid he's going to be difficult to understand. Understand? Well... No lips. Hello, Freddy. Hi. I'm so glad to see that you're feeling better. You had a very close call. But you're gonna be all right. Now, just lie still. I'm gonna give you something. It's gonna make you feel even better. Well, let's talk about your little bet right there. You are correct. You would collect on that bet. Ben had never seen this movie. But here's where that bet pays off double. What would you say is the most devastating from out of nowhere move in wrestling? This is RKO. Yeah, well, John Landis's American Werewolf in London would have gotten RKO'd had I seen this, and this would have been my number 10. <laughs> I fucking loved Dead and Buried. I put this on after she went to sleep one night, and I was just, like, sitting there, and I was like, oh, goddamn, this makes up for all that bullshit that, like, I don't even care what a 5, 3, 2, and 1 are on the next half of this list. I said, he has made up for every misstep that I had to sit through from 10 to 6, that I that I was put off by with this. This is just fantastic. Thank you. I mean, this next of kin. There's a couple others where I'm like, people need to know about these movies. They're great. They're underseen. Little horror gems. This one in particular. There's something about Gary Sherman. His he has another movie from the 70s that when we get when when we get to that, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about it. Just to answer the first question right off the bat, I saw this. Because I saw another one of his movies, which is called Deathline, also known as Raw Meat uh, in America. And I was so struck by it. I was like, that movie, this movie fucking rules from 1972. I was like, what else has this guy made? And it's like, not much. It's, you know, that, this, another movie called Vice Squad, Wanted Dead or Alive with uh, Roger Howard, which oh baby i'm hunting that down right now and poltergeist 3 and another movie called lisa so not not a whole lot but i was like oh okay well if then you know if deathline is so good then you know maybe dead and buried will be good and i think dead and buried might be might be better makes me want to track down a bunch of dan o'bannon movies too because goddamn, i love that guy's movies as well yeah yeah you know he he did have the number one spot last year so 
He did with Return of the Living Dead, didn't he? Yeah, Return of the Living Dead. Um... No, wait, wait, I think that was number two for you. You might be right. I think The Vanishing is your number one. No, The Vanishing is definitely my most scary. I don't even want to think about The Vanishing. (laughs) You know what's even scarier than The Vanishing? Go for it. The remake to The Vanishing. (laughs) Yeah, well, for different. But that's on a different level of scary. Made by the same guy, too. Who would have thought? I mean, what's his name? Remade Funny Games. Sometimes if they give you enough money, you're like, oh, fuck it. Let's see what happens. Well, to be fair, his remake of Funny Games was kind of a fuck you. It really did feel like a fuck you. Haneke was like, yeah, all right. You're going to give me a lot of money and remake it. I'm not going to do anything different. Yeah, it's really true. He was like, no, no differences. There's, it's a really smart reason to do it. It's like, what's the nature of a remake? Can you remake something, even if you do it exactly the same? Like, what's the point? You know, there's a lot of questions that he's asking with that remake, but I just think it's so fucking funny. I gotta ask you, because America wants to know as well. Did you say where you came across this? So, yeah, I came across this because I listened to an interview with Gary Sherman, like, going over his whole career. And one of the people in it was just, like, glowingly talking about all of his movies. And they were talking about this movie called Deathline. And uh, it's a movie, I'm not going to over-explain it, because we'll get to it eventually. But uh, it stars Donald Pleasance, and it's about, you know, these people who go missing in the, the London underground. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. It's weird that this American director made, like, started out in England and then came back. Um, and so I was like, oh, I'll check out, like, his first American movie uh, uh, also. And it was this movie, Dead and Buried. And I was so blown away by both those movies that I was like, I need to track down all of this guy's movies. Like, I was just like, is this guy becoming, like, a, like a secretly one of the great directors of the 80s? And I haven't watched all of his movies, so I, I'm, I'm jury's still out. But this movie fucking whips. It's so fucking simple. I swear to God, like, if I didn't have such respect for Dan O'Bannon, I would just assume that whoever wrote this actually was going through Stephen King's trash because this feels like a Stephen King script that he threw out. Like, I feel like King sat in a theater and watched this. He's like, fuck, I could have done that. God damn it. Like, ah. They got me. Damn it. It does, and it 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 doesn't. It also, I think, it feels like a marrying of King because it has a lot of the King shit that is good and works, and it kind of marries it with like Lovecraft ideas. A lot of it, just like the palette, and it feels very the Moon over Innsmouth, you know. Kind of. I Have don't you ever? Do. Uh, Have you ever read any Lovecraft? Oh, that's that's a story about Lovecraft. No, I don't think I've read that one. I know I know some of Lovecraft, but no, I know what you mean by like the body horror kind of elements of Lovecraft. More of like, or the shadow over Innsmouth, not the moon over Innsmouth. The more of the otherworldly horror. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of body horror, but mo- I, I mean more the cosmic implications of this movie. Well, I don't know much about Lovecraft. I don't know much about kind of like what his work is, but this works, dude. Every part of this just absolutely plays. Every part of this absolutely stays. Can't even describe, like, how happy this movie made me. And it's because, too, there's something about movies in the 80s where you could just kind of go for it. 
And like people just kind of had to deal with it because we weren't living in a world where there were like 50,000 choices. Like there were like 12 movies put out this week, like on just different streaming services (laughs) and in theaters. And it's like, it's too much. And back then it's like, you got like maybe a couple movies a week, maybe. Like sometimes movies just like dominated the box office and things were like, no, we're not coming out this week. Fuck that. E.T. still kicking the shit out of everybody. Yeah, I think this movie, I, I, I mean, there was a lot of movies that came out. This movie definitely came and went. It didn't do particularly well at the time. I think it did a little bit better on home video. But I think it, it, I think it did well enough on home video that it got like a, a kind of a cult following. It got a novelization <laughs> at the time. So I think they thought it was going to do, do numbers. But it it did not. Oh, that is that is just wonderful, fucking wonderful. Speaking of, by the way, I need to hunt that down like yesterday. The novelization. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't buy it. Maybe it's coming to you at some point as a thank you for turning someone on to this. Nice, 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 nice. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Maybe maybe get away from that. So what is this movie about? Because this this is the most delightful part. Also, guys, this is on fucking Peacock. Go support this movie. Make Peacock question whether it should do a limited series about this movie. <laughs> uh, you spike the numbers. Yeah, it's about a sheriff named Dan Gillis, assisted by a local townsman named Dobbs, who is an eccentric mortician, who's trying to discover the motive for the killing of photographer who was brutally, who was brutally beaten. And then um, after he survived the attack, was murdered by a woman posing as a nurse with a big needle to the eye. They light him on fire, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> the scene of him, the <laughs> in like the full body cast, which is like the eye and the teeth, that might be the one of the most disturbing images of the movie if it wasn't for like the rest of the movie. <laughs> and it's it's you know it's i'm gonna i'm gonna be a little vague about like what happens in the back half of the movie but it it takes place in rhode island and there's just there's a couple of murders and gillis is just like why what is happening and it's you know it starts out as like a as like a little detective mystery and then he unravels all sorts of weird shit there is something about this movie where and it plays a lot like other movies in this case like the stepford wives this would be a perfect double with the stepford wives where it's a movie where it's like the minute you get into this town you know something is fucking wrong but it's one of those things where unlike the stepford wives where it's all from her perspective it keeps jumping to different perspectives. Now, the cop is the main perspective, to be sure. The sheriff is your is your main entry point. But occasionally it'll go to, like, other people who are then dealt with. And, like, there's that moment where that family shows up. And they're like, we're kind of lost. And we could use some gas. And she's like, you're here in Pata's Bluff. She goes, Jimmy, can you get these people some gas? And the guy turns around and he's like, I'll get you some gas. And you're like, that's the motherfucker who was murdered. Get away from these people. And, like, like you just sit there and you're just like, like you as like the audience are kind of the surrogate into this and you're like nobody can be trusted i think they're all evil especially that son of a bitch whose grandson is running a chocolate factory somewhere the fact that they got him to be the guy is such a smart choice (laughs) like i don't even know how to describe like 
how much Jack Albertson playing Dobbs is like a brilliant casting decision because I don't I don't know how you feel. I don't like fucking Uncle uh, Grandpa Joe in those movies <laughs> or in that movie. I think he's a real prick who sat on his ass for like 60 years fucking was in that bed faking it and then all of a sudden oh chocolate factory tour oh i'm doing okay oh my back's fine i know how much you don't like grandpa joe grandpa whatever his name is it's grandpa joe however that's not nothing to do with him he's pretty good in that movie i know him more from being a bit part in the poseidon adventure and a couple other movies but yes he, when he shows up and when he shows up very early on in this movie, you just kind of go like, "Hey, wait a minute! That's that fucking guy from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory." Well, what they do so well too is because at first I didn't recognize him because they give him the thickest Coke bottle glasses, and he's a bit older. Ever seen? He is a bit older, but they they disguise him a little bit. But all of a sudden, you start to hear that voice, and you're like. Oh, that's that son of a bitch who tried to make Charlie like drink the fizzy lifting. It's his fucking fault. He almost loses the whole goddamn thing, too. He's the one who says, go ahead, Charlie, take a drink. No one's watching. You're like, you're a piece of shit, Grandpa Joe. Grandpa Joe, what are you doing? Come on. Like, I'll tell you how you make Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory better is he goes, he goes, he goes, do you like the Chocolate Factory, Charlie? And he goes, I think it's the most wonderful place in the whole world. He goes, that's good because I'm giving it to you. And like he goes, and he goes, you're giving me the chocolate factory? He goes, yeah, there's just one thing you have to do. And he hands him a pistol and points to Grandpa Joe. And he goes, do it. He's the one who stole my drink. I know it was him, Charlie. Shoot I don't him, blame Mary. you. Shoot him, Mary. Take your, pla- take your place next to me. Joy. Right between, he just becomes Valentine. Right between the eyes, Jerry, Gary. Right, right there. And he's just like, and Grandpa Joe's like, please, Charlie, don't do it. Don't you remember all the fun times we had? He goes, I remember you being in a bed and just pulls the trigger and it goes to black, but you hear the gunshot. We definitely pitched down a darker. Yeah. We pitched a darker (laughs) ending to Willy Wonka. (laughs) Todd Salon's Willy Wonka. Jesus Christ. Could you imagine how bleak that movie? Anyway, Denberry, the movie we're talking about. Uh, I told you came across it. My favorite scene is the the opening murder where the guy's in the hospital. Because it's just, like, some Looney Tune shenanigans and that shit, dude. It's so funny. I mean, it, it is pretty funny because that woman's all like, do you like taking pictures of this? And I was like, this is going to work out for this guy. And then all of a sudden, like, seven other people are there. And I'll tell you this. The other brilliant thing, I didn't realize until halfway through the movie. I was like, why do they keep fucking taking pictures of these people? And then I was like... Oh, it's because he has to build them up again. He has to reconstruct them. That's yes. so fucking smart. Yes. 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 <laughs> Cuz I went like deeper. I was like I was like, "Oh, is it a thing where like a picture steals your soul and that's how they do it?" And then I was like, "No, it's just cuz he's a fucking mortician and like he needs like work to he needs to be like, the "Fuck did this guy look like again?" <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, like like looking at the pictures being like, "Huh?" Once that clicked the first time I watched it, I was like, yes, yes. I'm going to say this, too. One of the other brilliant pieces of casting that a lot of people are going to. And actually, it doesn't matter because he wasn't a name yet. But 
having Robert England now in this movie and you see it, like, if you know who Robert England is, like, now, now back then it didn't matter because this was pre-Nightmare on Elm Street. But seeing it then, you were going to be like, oh, it's Freddy Krueger. That's obviously the bad guy. Nope, he's not. He's just a henchman. It's like, he's just a guy. What's crazy is he just used to be a guy that show up in movies. He's really fun in it, too. Like, like it's fun to watch him in it. I guess before this, you would have known him from Eaten Alive, if you're a horror fan. Which is the Toby Hooper follow-up to, to um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You ever seen Eaten Alive? The giant gator movie. Yeah, it, it is. The giant baby. gator movie. Oh, you know. I have it. not seen Eaten Alive, but it's on it's on my list. If you can track it down, I say I, I think it's it's a it's a it's a real it's a real fucking it's a weird fucking movie, man. It is also where I believe where Quentin Tarantino got the the phrase "I'm buck and I like to fuck." <laughs> I mean, I'll say this. I don't know what James Ferentino is from, who plays the sheriff in this. He is wonderful. He is, from my limited research, a guy who's been in, like, everything. Bunch of TV movies. He's a longtime TV actor, obviously. Was in Dynasty for a long time. The Longest Night, which is like a, you know, a made, an old made-for-TV movie. The Final Countdown. Have you ever heard of The Final Countdown? No insane premise can't believe they made it about it's about a modern nuclear power aircraft that travels through time to the day before december 7th 1941 uh, um, sorry what yeah it was produced by the people from trauma well that uh, makes sense but it, but here's the thing it has a 12.5 million dollar budget what Look who the fuck is in this! I don't know, yeah. Look who the fuck is in this! Kirk Douglas, Martin Sheen, Catherine Ross! Those are your first three! Charles yeah. Durning is a supporting player! What yep. the fuck is this? I don't know. Ben, your guess is... Oh, it, we're it doing like, this! It feels like I, I woke up from a coma, and you're just telling me this now. Oh! The first time I'm hearing about oh, it. Oh, the retool of the show! This is one of the first ones! Oh, yeah. You better believe it, baby. Who the fuck do you find this it can't be good oh, it's on peacock of course it is of course it's on peacock yeah <laughs> i gotta say peacock secretly kind of like the paint version of tubi has some real bangers it has some it, there's some things there's some things in there yes correct oh that's great um, let me just make sure this is actually on here you know directed by the guy who did um it's escape. on here it yeah. exists oh yeah this is gonna be nuts. Oh, and it's Kirk Douglas at that really shitty period where he's going gray, and you can tell he hates doing it. Oh um, my god, this is gonna be great. Very excited oh. to, to watch this movie that was directed by the same guy who did Escape from the Planet of the Apes and Damien Omen 2. <laughs> Let's go. Hey. Yeah, indeed. So we've talked about what it's about. You said your favorite scene is the needle in the eye. Yeah, I hate eye stuff, and it's just also yeah. really funny to me. Yeah, that poor bastard just sitting there being like, God, that nurse looks, certainly looks like the woman who seduced me on that beach ah. and burned me up. Oh, God damn, it is her. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> that's the inner monologue of that guy before he gets reconstructed. There's something about the reaction shot that they 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 give him. <laughs> it's like just his bandaged face and eyes, and you can kind of see his teeth, and it's really distressing. And you just you just see the pain in his eyes, and you just you're like, how did he get a reaction shot of a guy who can't do anything? <laughs> I feel like, too, I think my favorite scene is the ending where you finally get the answers to what's going on. And fucking, like, Jack Albertson's character's like, I gave her back to you. He's like, he goes, she can have sex. And you're like, did you think this was going to keep the sheriff off your back if you gave him, like, a little bit of ass from his wife? Like, why why did you do this? It's... The rest of them would fall apart, but not her. You can bang her all day. Like, you're just like, you're like, you're a nut job, Jack Albertson. It's great. I think the fact that it's, it's Jack so Albertson, good. just, they had to sacrifice herds of, of animals to, for him to eat that much ham. Well, actually, they didn't even need to sacrifice that much, that much pigs. Because if you look, the scene at the end where they turn on all those projectors that wasn't originally in the script because he was eating parts of the scenery, so they had to cover that up. <laughs> and why does this deserve to be on your list besides all the glowing praise we've thrown on this it's, movie? It's real fucking good, and if you've never seen it's it, it's just fun. It's a lot of fun. Feels like a like a Kevin like a Stephen King trying to write like a Lovecraft B side. It's real fun. I love it a lot. And if you've never seen it, <laughs> do yourself the favor and watch gary sherman's dead and buried indeed well we move on to my number three and my number three speaking of speaking of b-side king is maybe the most b-side king you're gonna get but i'll tell you right now i don't remember when i first saw it i don't remember where i first saw it it's not on bravo's 100 scariest movie moments but i'll tell you guys there is something magical about the 1984 movie directed by fritz kreuch starting peter horton Linda Hamilton, John Franklin, and Courtney Gaines. It's a little movie about a couple that is on a road trip because the husband is heading to start his new job as a doctor in a big city, and they get lost along the way. But luckily, they're going to stop off in Gatlin and ask some people uh, for directions. Unfortunately, the only people there are the children of the corn. We must sacrifice them both tonight. Amos will satisfy him. We need the woman. She'll bring the man to us. No. He must be taken without her. We cannot remove her from this place. It is holy. We will bring the Lord two by using one. Not blaspheme, Malachi. You know not the laws. He speaks them only to me. I think not, Isaac. You are the one who's lost favor with him. He's the God of blood and sacrifice, not ceremony. Ah! Sacrilege! Down on your knees, heretic! Shut your mouth, Isaac! You've built pride going apart from us! He who walks behind the rose will decide your fate. Don't just sit there! Seize him! Punish him! Cut him down, I command you! I am the word and the giver of his laws! Disobedience to me is disobedience to him! Do it now, or your punishment shall be a thousand times, a thousand deaths, each more horrible than the last. They are tired of your talk, Isaac. I've shown them what I can do. Cut the woman down. Put Isaac in her place. Yeah, we can... will see how the Lord <gasps> favors you. No, you dare oh, not, God. blaspheme. He will punish you. The dog of hell will devour you. All of you. No. 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 
have you taken a gander at old Fritz Kurt Fritz Fritz Kirsch's um, directorial history? No. Sorry, it's not like a fantastic filmography. It's just a lot of like, yeah, I saw that on TNT. I saw that on TNT. I don't know. He I've did seen nothing. Thing. Tough Turf is, I think, like a Hulu staple. It's been on Hulu for like 700 years. Gore is not a very good movie. They stuff some really just fucking disgusting fancy books. I think Under the Boardwalk was one of those like you could watch it at six o'clock on a on a on a six o'clock a.m. on Comedy Central type movies. So it's strange how much of this guy's movies other than Children of the Corn that I recognize just the names of. Like I said, I don't recognize any of these, but he starts off with Children of the Corn. And, you know, I know this is my movie, but I'm going to let you do the line. Go ahead. Amanda, we have no woman. Oh, blood was spilled tonight. Night is his time. (laughs) Amanda. We have your woman! She still lives! Outlander, maybe you don't hear so well. (laughs) Outlander, her blood will spill unless you give yourself up. You won't wait much longer. Night is coming. Night is his time. I came into the bedroom the other day with Mac and I was just doing that. I was like, Outlander, maybe you don't hear so good. I gotta tell you, it's wild that Linda Hamilton can beat a Terminator, but these, like, fucking children are giving her this much trouble. You know, the children, there's a lot of them. There's not really. But they're organized. They're not really that organized. You know, they know the town better. That is the one advantage these kids have, isn't it? Yeah. It's for the outsiders. I just think it's, like, one of those things where it's like, did they just get the drop on the on the parents like does the parents just not see it coming well i think that that town is so small that that town has a routine like and i don't just mean like some of the people everyone goes to the same church then they all empty out to that diner so a good chunk of them are in that diner that's that is true like so like if you get the diner like if you can overtake the diner You've probably gotten, like, 50% of the adults. Because I'm assuming Gatlin's is a town of, like, let's say, like, 150 people, right? Let's just say that half of that is children. So there's 75. Let's say 40 of the people in the diner. Uh, that's being huge for that diner, actually. Let's say, like, 30 people are in that diner max. And, like, the children come in and fucking knife 30 of them. And we've got another 45 to deal with. Like, not hard. Um, sounds like the blue man was the hardest one to deal with. Yeah, yeah. Blue, Blue Man's always the hardest one to deal with. Just when you... Oh my god, it's so good. <laughs> Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the corn. <laughs> that should have been the tagline. It's like, I'm sorry, was I going into corn to begin with? <laughs> I, this It's just so weird. It's um, only... Not only Stephen King, but it definitely has like a very simple premise of just like... Yeah, he, there's just kids just murder, and they own the town now. It's their town. Forget it, Jake. It's children of the Cornville. You're just sitting there, and you're like, damn. These kids are, like, 
they are just on one too. And I'll say it too, it doesn't like I don't know where they found that kid, but the kid who plays Isaac John Franklin is so fucking good. He has a real like Damien Omen energy to him. He does, but it's the voice too. It's the do not question his word, Malachi. Like it's like it's the fucking arrogance he throws. Like, it's the shit-talking he gives to Malachi. Like, Malachi is his fucking goon until a point, and then the goon is like, wait a minute, you're, like, fucking five foot nothing. Wait a minute. I'm gonna be in charge. Why am I taking orders from you? Strength. Strength can sometimes overtake smarts. The guy who plays him, John Franklin, surprisingly robust filmography credits. He was Cousin It in The Addams Family. And uh, also... He's the voice of Walkabout Chucky in the original Child's Play. Walkabout Chucky. Is that like the good Chucky voice? The, before the good. He's the one that goes like, I okay. love you. Yeah, Cousin It. Well, I'll be. Yeah. You have Brad Dorif as like evil Chucky. And then Eden Gross as like the friendly Chucky. Oh, this kind of makes me want to track down 1999 Children of the Corn 666 Isaac's Return. I don't know if I've seen that one, but I have seen like a fair fair swath of the children of the corn film series and let me tell you no you don't (laughs) well no i mean you i mean i'll I'll be honest nothing nothing will ever beat children of the corn part one for me but i'm going to tell you right now they had better have something really special planned if they want to even try to take second place away from children of the corn three urban harvest because urban harvest is awesome i don't think they could i know i've seen fields of terror and I'm pretty sure I've seen, like, Janice Threat? No. I've seen Urban Harvest. I've seen The Final Sacrifice because I'm stupid. And I'll just, I'll just watch movies. One of them ends with, like, really, really, really awful CGI of corn, like, going up apartment complexes. I think that's Revelation. Could also be Fields of Terror. Anyway, it does not matter. I'm getting lost in the weeds over here went over what's this about you said this sort of has always existed in your purview i guess the other thing is asked is what's your favorite scene i mean it's hard not to say the outlander scene just because i love how much courtney Gaines is going for it which by the way he is said he goes he goes there is not a month that goes by or at some point i'll be out somewhere and someone will just scream outlander at me i love it he goes but it just happens every month at least sometime he goes, I'll be out shopping at the store and someone will go, Outlander! And I'll be like, hi. And it'll just go on his way. But what is my favorite scene? Oh, man. Honestly, I kind of love the misdirection when they fucking tack Isaac's ass up to one of those corn crosses. And you're like, okay, well, that's the end of Isaac. And then, like, just as it's over, like, Isaac steps back out and he goes, he wants you, Malachi. And you're just like, oh, fuck, Isaac's back and he is pissed. <laughs> Y'all should have listened to him. He was the purveyor of the word. I love that they get away, but not because they overpower the children, but simply because they just use their their <laughs> they just use their adult <laughs> intelligence to make the children fight each other. <laughs> it is a real turn on them, isn't it? Like it's just it it's, is one of those like yeah, like you know what would be great? Let's turn them against each other. It's one of those where you like, you just, like start to write the story. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, children own a town. How do you get out of that? And it's like, well, you just like make them hate each other, and you're like, oh, 
Well, <laughs> all right. <laughs> kind of easy. I guess but... that works. Yeah. You know who actually, like, I'm kind of surprised, like, I wish had more. And she does get the final jump scare. Julia Madalena, who plays Rachel. She's, yes. like, the one who's, like, yeah, who's, like, setting up, like, the sacrifice in the church. Like, she's the one who's, like, do not speak to him. He's a non-believer. Like, she is so good. Like, all the kid performances are good in this. Yeah, all the kid performances, you're right, are, are very good in this. I went to uh, click on her IMDb, and she is a voice actress now and has done so many anime adaptations. The English voice acting, that it's it would be unfair to, to list even just a fraction of them, but I will say that she's in fucking Trigun, baby. Boy, if you're an anime nerd, you love Trigun, don't you? Everybody loves Trigun. Yeah, oh my god, look at all the stuff she's been in. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. Ghost in Shell, Nier Automata. These are voice performances, video game performances. Um, so yeah, she's been in a ton of stuff. Um, it appears that her live-action roles are mostly just like Power Rangers. Because um, she did, like, she voiced characters, apparently. Um, yeah. And uh, she was in a documentary called Avengers in Voice Acting. So she became a very prominent voice actor. She's great. I mean, like I said, she has just like a couple of moments in that movie where you're like, you know, if this movie had like a little bit longer. And that's the other thing that makes this movie work. It's fucking short. Like, I don't think this movie, this movie's barely an hour and a half. Like, she... Like, she would have been the third part, like, to it. Like, if I honestly think the kids could have kept it going if they would have had her kind of, like, working things, like, between Malachi and, and Isaac. Because the biggest breakdown in communication is between those two. Yes. Yes. Correct. I think you're right. If this was, like, if you did, like, a miniseries version of this, yes. I'm kind of glad they didn't, though. I'm, 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 I think it... I think it's the perfect length. It is. It's. It's. It, it's exactly as long as a as their premise of. Uh, what if kids uh, lived in uh, the cornfields and uh, also killed all the humans? I mean, guys, I'll say it. If you're if you're not a big fan of horror movies and you do want to know what this is about, check out the South Park episode entitled "The Wacky Molestation Adventure." It's basically a ripoff of this and is equally as great in some ways. I do need, before I ask you why it should be on the list, I need to point out that this was lensed by cinematographer Yao Fernandez, who is a um, who is a Brazilian cinematographer, probably best known for this Friday the 13th, the final chapter, and missing in action, but was a long-time exploitation and uh, adult movie cinematographer doing the cinematography for movies such as a bunch of Doris Whispin movies, including um, Let Me Die a Woman and The Amazing Transplant, of which a man gets his uh, gets a penis transplant. Fantastic story. Lovely. Makes you cry every time. Also, movies such as The Devil and Mrs. Jones and Deep Throat. Fantastic, long-time journeyman cinematographer. Just thought he should get a shout-out. Anyway, on to the last question, which is, Benjamin, why should this movie be on your list? I just kind of love this movie unabashedly. Like, 
it's a movie that if you look at it, it's it's probably not in anyone's top 10 Stephen King movie adaptations of all time. But it might be in mine, and it might be lower than 10. It might even be in the top five. I just think this movie works on a level that, like, few of his movies, like, kind of don't take them. Like, every Stephen King movie, I feel, takes itself a little too seriously. But this one never gets to that point where it's like, okay, like, calm down. Calm down. We see what you're doing here. Why corn? That's the one. Like I know it has to take place it's out, in Nebraska. It's out, it's out in, the, it's out in the, the heartland. That's why. Okay. Yeah, I guess that, I guess that makes sense. It sounds sense. scary, too. Children of the corn? You're like, what the fuck does that mean? That is very true. It does sound very scary. Um, I will say that there's this mirrors another movie from 1976 that we'll talk about next year that I'm so excited to see. I'm not even going to I'm not even tell you the name. I'm not even going to tell you what it's about. But it is about children. And it's about them killing a lot of adults. So... I'm excited. I don't know what that is, but okay. Oh yeah, you're gonna you're gonna like it. Well, it takes us out of the uh, cornfield. We made it out of Gatlin. You want to take us on to your number three? My my number three comes from us by way of a sequel to a movie that does not have a hyperlink on uh, Wikipedia called Bewitched from the Shaw Brothers Studio. For those of you who are out of the know. Shaw Brothers Studio was one of, was the biggest producer of films in Hong Kong during its golden era, or its first golden era, from the 60s to about the mid-80s. This being one of the rare, well, the rare in the West Hong Kong horror films. This is directed by, this comes by way of director Kwai Chin Hung from Hong Kong from 1984, The Boxer's Omen. Rebellion, different thing. <laughs> They'll never know what that means. They'll never know what that means. Now, I told you you were going to have a chat with the judge before this episode was over, and here it is. Now, I'm going to allow this counselor as a horror movie, but you you watch yourself now. This is like that Lady Terminator crap you pulled last year. Now, don't think I'm not aware of what you're trying to do here. Listen, Your Honor. Are we not subject to allow ourselves to have a little fun. Oh no, you're you're not wrong. This is a lot of fun. I I I was like, okay, 
I had my list like mostly done and I was like, okay, I'm going to knock off a couple movies that I had heard about from a long time. So I'm going to be honest. I don't remember where I heard this movie from. I probably was a podcast at some point in time that had a, had a, that talked about it, but I don't remember exactly when I first heard about this movie. I'm, I think I came across it on Letterboxd. That's the, the the thing I've known. So it's been in my Letterboxd watch list, which if you ever if you ever find my Letterboxd is like a thousand movies long. And one day it was just like put up on Arrow. I believe they released it as part of their one of their their second Shaw Brothers collection. And I was like, okay, I should check this off. Like I've heard about this great hidden Hong Kong horror movie forever. Um, I should probably finally watch it if I'm gonna publish a list claiming to put on a bunch of like foreign horror movies right and i get like a third of the way through and i just text you it's like okay there's gonna be a late entry that you're gonna have to watch uh that like i just i it's just thrown my list and list into disarray just just shred everything just throw it out the window because i was i was transfixed it was the first time i watched it on just like a little laptop i was like you know, this is crazy, like, look at all this stuff. And I felt kind of insane just, like, immediately putting on the watch list. So, like, a couple days ago, I rewatched it, and I was like, no, this this rules. This fucking, this kicks ass. You want to, I mean, you kind of told us where you came across it for the first time. You want to tell us what it's about? So, this movie is about a boxer who you might think if you know what boxing is, you might think you know what a boxer is. It's more of like the kickboxer variety. So like when I started it, I was kind of like, it took a second where I was like, right, they, they, yes, that would be what a, that's what a boxer would be in this, obviously. Like not like a, like what, what the West thinks of a box. Anyway, I'm over explaining it. Anyway, he's a heavyweight boxer. His brother, Chang Wing, gets essentially like low blowed by the big heel of the movie, which is like a, a Muay Thai mixed martial arts uh, fighter named Bobao kicks him in the back of the head while he's not paying attention, which like par- like paralyzes wing. But I don't think he's like fully paralyzed. Cause at the end you see him like not in a wheelchair. He's just in like, he just has like a neck brace. So I don't know if he's like, if he gets better. But essentially, this causes him to like confront the heel and be like, "I'm, we're gonna, I'm gonna fucking kick your ass." Meanwhile, there's a Buddhist monk who is being attacked by uh, some sort of gang of black magicians, and they don't attack him like straight up. They attack him through magic, and then essentially, I'm trying to do this as shortly as possible, but it, you you gotta know as much as, you, as much as you can. And then essentially what ends up happening is that Buddhist monk recruits the boxer to fight the black magicians. So he does both. He, he fights the Muay Thai kickboxer who paralyzed his brother and then also black magicians. And it fucking kicks ass. He doesn't just recruit him. It's not like, oh, hey, you know you'd be pretty good for this and in the meantime like also like maybe i can help you like figure out this shit with your brother he tells him the guy who's supposed to help me has been encased in this curse oh and p.s you're kind of related 
it to him. Like, you two were brothers in a past life. You're making it way simpler than they do. And I'll tell you this. I want to tell you the moment I knew you had this movie and I was going to be, like, lockstep with you on this. Because at first I was like, the fuck is this? This is not a horror movie. And then all of a sudden, Bolo Yang comes on screen and kicks that brother in the back of the head. And I said, don't care. Fucking villain from Bloodsports in this movie. Don't care what the rest of this movie is. I am here. I am watching Chong Lee beat the shit out of people again. I am happy. And then I proceeded to kind of nod during it because I watched it like late at night, which is not the way you should watch this movie, especially if you don't know that the main character is going to shave his head. Because I woke up the next morning and continued on where I was. And I was like, who the fuck's the guy who was helping him? Like, did they just get rid of him? And so I rewound it. I'm like, oh, he shaved his head. He's now a monk. Okay, this makes a lot more sense. But this movie fucking rocks. Like, it is the first movie that said, how does one beat a horror movie? With Kung Fu. That's how we beat horror movie. (laughs) You kind of start to feel a little insane when you, you start watching it. When you watch it late at night, I mean. When you watch it during the day and you can kind of follow everything and you know to pay attention you're like all right this just kind of this kicks ass is what this does but when you watch it late at night like like we i like i the second time i watched through it you're just like i i i I feel like i'm in between worlds here and it's not a world i want to be in well that's the other genius thing about it too is like at one point i was like I was watching and I'm like, I'm like, how did he get here? And then you have to kind of realize like the whole thing's kind of an inception move where like, it's kind of all in his head. Like he has to like meditate to like get to that level to fight these weird witch people. And man, these like 83, definitely not computer generated effects where it was like very clearly just like drew on the film itself or like did like those old like rotoscope animations that they did on this man those fucking look so cool (laughs) well not just that the practical effects the scene where they kill a fucking alligator and then put a body in it and say you're gonna be unkillable and you're gonna beat this son of a bitch it's like okay i didn't know that was a trick you could pull when they start doing that i was like this movie's really gross like viscerally but like the movie got me so bad that when it goes from like that really long period where it's not about the dude boxing anymore, it's like about him taking on these like Buddhist rites and like going that direction. That is takes so long that I was like, oh yeah, I'm totally on board for whatever this like for this part of the movie. And then when he's like in a fucking ring again, I was like, what? Ha- Whoa, wait. <laughs> I was like, oh, right. This is like a whole other movie happening. It kicks fucking ass, though, dude. It's, oh. I don't even know if there's like a fair description for like what this movie does, like in terms of its ability to like kind of just keep it going. And like, again, it's really short. Like it doesn't ask a lot of you. It asks you to pay attention because you kind of have to be sticking with it for like the first 20 minutes are crucial. If you don't, Like, pay attention in the first 20 minutes, you're kind of fucked because you're going to be confused as to what's going on. But, like, once you get past that and he starts the training and then he he fucks up and has sex, which is the funniest thing to screw. I love, too, that's when I was like, oh, it is a horror movie. He had sex. That's what's going to screw him over. And it does. Yeah, it does. does. Yep. 
Like they follow the one logic of like, no, you can't have sex. Sorry. It's so funny because the the like him having sex is like initially played as a joke. They kind of like they kind of play it as like a joke, but like it, you have to. I was like, oh, that's kind of a lame. That's kind of a lame joke. And then, like, when he, like, has to go back to the Buddhist temple, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I was like, you fucked up. <laughs> you fucked up. You fucked up. This movie gets you on base emotions. You know what I mean? That's what I love about Hong Kong cinema, is they're not afraid to use, like, the most basic face heel shit. Like, works every single time. That's what I've always respected about their stuff. Like, they are very straightforward about what they want to do as storytellers. Like, there is a good guy. Like, within the first five minutes of Dragon Inn, you know who the fucking bad guy is. Like, it's not even yeah. it's not even fucking hard to understand, like, who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. Like, this is what, like, a lot of, like, like Asian cinema does where they're like, no, no, we're not going to try to masquerade this shit. Now, some of it can be coy. Some of it can definitely, like, throw you off. But, like... For the most part, like they're very, especially in kung fu movies, it's like, no, no, this is the good guy, this is the bad guy, and we're going to show you this by certain things, which is the good guy doesn't paralyze people by kicking them from behind. The bad guy does. I think because Shaw Brothers is very indicative of like kind of like classic Hollywood style, where it's like broadly good guys, broadly bad guys. But, like, kind of, like, graphing it onto Eastern traditional, like, fairy tales and stuff like that, I think. Your brain is just like, oh, I'm just kind of, like, watching, like, a Western, but there's kung fu in it. You could theoretically have these characters. Like, you could theoretically make this. I mean, it would be, you would ha- it would be really hard to transpose the, like, very specific hyper Eastern style, like black magic into the movie, but you could theoretically set the boxing half, like in a Western. Yeah, that is true. I mean, if it doesn't take that weird turn where it's like, you have to go within yourself and fight these things. Also too, I kind of love that the guy wakes up, leaves. And like, we never really do get the end of that story. It's like, I guess he's just off to fight evil. He's he just left to go somewhere else. Yeah, never never really get that answer. And I kind of like that. I kind of like that. It just he just like yeah he wins and it's over. Indeed, it is over. What is your favorite scene? <sighs> that first time he fights the people, the black magic. The first time they do the black magic fight and he like makes that bowl. That's pretty cool. I think when the first monk gets murdered <laughs> and gets blinded by those tarantulas, that's really cool. I also <laughs> think all of the uh, boxing is really, really well shot. I mean, it is good. I'm trying to think. You know, when anytime they're using like either not stop motion, but it's clearly like just like they've made props that are supposed to be alive, whether it be spider, alligator, whatever. I'm kind of here for it. It's it is really cool. It's a very inventive, it, creative movie. It, it's it is a really cool movie and highest regard for boxer Omen. 
And like I said, I at first I was like, at first I was like, ah, this is not a horror movie. This is actually, but if you watch it carefully enough, it does follow the tropes of a horror movie. He has sex that causes him to get screwed over. There's a curse. Like there's a whole bunch of things in it where you're like, no, this is definitely a horror movie. Like, like it's an action horror I, movie to be sure, but like it's a horror. You movie. know, another another big horror trope: guy getting stabbed in the eyes with uh with a uh, tarantulas. Yeah. That happens a you lot see that, in like horror movies. Every horror movie nowadays. I mean, how many times has Jason pulled out the old tarantula to the eyes move? You know, it's it's the new sleeping bag against the tree, you know? It really is. Jason's going real uh east going real eastern kills right now. You ever notice that? <laughs> a lot of him just from a distance, just killing bats. It's really weird. I don't know why he's killing all these bats. <laughs> When the guy shows up as the bat, too, and there's just that scene of him flying in, you're just like, fuck me, that's cool looking. The movie's just really cool. I mean, I, I don't know I don't know how else to describe it other than the movie is just really, like, so cool. Anything else you want to say about Boxer's Omen outside of why it should be on the list? It just, it, it, it's not going to work for everybody if you, I think do not have like a flair for the surreal maybe you might dislike it but i think it's a pretty good crowd pleaser i would i would suggest this to people who want to like throw like a little party there's nothing too graphic in it it's like maybe like a there's like a little bit of a tna but like you know nothing too bad and the violence well I don't know. Maybe the maybe the animal violence might might get some people. Uh, I think about it. I just think it it's a type of Eastern horror that I I think is was t- is taken for granted by a lot of people because we're so used to like the Korean style and the Japanese style that we don't really think about these like old school fable style like Chinese horror movies. Have you said everything you want to say about the Boxer's Omen? Yes, it's a it's a banger, I think. Okay. Well, moves us on to my number two, the second best movie of the early 80s, according to me. And I've been thinking about how I wanted to talk about this movie ever since I put this in my number two position. And I've come to the conclusion that even though my number one movie is a movie that I like more than my number two. I honest to goodness believe my number two might be more important than my number one. So based on purely enjoyment status is why this was beaten out by my number one. But my number two is a movie that comes from 1981. It got an NC-17 rating upon its release. It is an hour and 25 minutes long. And it is the kickoff to one of the greatest friendships slash working relationships in modern cinema. And that is the relationship between Bruce Campbell as Ashley Ash J. Williams and director Sam Raimi, who also wrote a little movie from 81 where 13 people went up and filmed in a cabin and all had to sleep in that cabin together. And apparently there were massive fights. There was a huge bunch of problems. But at the end of the day, they gave us a real game changer, The Evil Dead. Listen to this. This is the tape I found downstairs. 
It has been a number of years since I began excavating the ruins of Kandar with a group of my colleagues. Now my wife and I have retreated to a small cabin in the solitude of these mountains. Here I continued my research undisturbed by the myriad distractions of modern civilization and far from the groves of Akadim. I believe I have made a significant find in the Kandarian runes, a volume of ancient Sumerian burial practices and funerary incantations. It is entitled Naturan de Manto, roughly translated Book of the Dead. The book is bound in human flesh and inked in human blood. It deals with demons, demon resurrection and those forces which roam the forest and dark bowers of man's domain. The first few pages warn that these enduring creatures may lie dormant but are never truly dead. They may be recalled to active life through the incantations presented in this book. It is through recitation of these passages that the demons are given license to possess the living. Hey, what'd you do that for? It's just getting good. I just don't want to hear it anymore, that's all. Hey, come on, I just want to hear the rest of it. No big deal. Tatra amistrobin hazarta. Tantir mano. Shut it off. Shut it off. That cabin does not look that big. 13 people must have been really uncomfortable. Notoriously, we're not very comfortable. (laughs) I think the next couple of movies, I don't know if we need to ask, like, for me, maybe, but for you, when you first heard of them, I think this is just, like, one of those movies that just sort of always exists when you're a film fan. Uh, You just kind of always know that Evil Dead is there somewhere. Even if you don't know about evil dead before you watch evil dead you are aware of the concept of evil dead evil dead is the cabin in the woods movie a bunch of teens go into the, go into a cabin in the woods and bad shit takes place it's a very interesting and unique idea i've been informed off mic it's not the first time it was done but it's certainly the one that i think made it the most famous i i think so i think it catapulted it into like the top rung of horror i just mean like i think it popularized the cabin in the woods thing because i mean it's really easy for an independent movie to just go to the woods the woods are everywhere except for the one nevada horror movie that's set in the woods the the woods are not everywhere especially at the end of that movie anyway yeah i i think I think people forget how exploitation-y the first Evil Dead is. Christ. Right? I think we all kind of forget, like, oh, it's, like, really a gross movie. (laughs) It's not just that. It's relentless. Like, I put it on one—I think I put it on last Friday. I got off early last Friday. I came home. I said— Sat down on the couch, or actually laid down on the couch. Cat came up and laid next to me, which was the first mistake. 
And I started to drifting it, but then all of a sudden, the minute that tree start that tree sequence happens, that movie just does not quit for the next like sixty minutes, probably because I think they're about like twenty minutes in at that point. Yeah, it it just goes. And Raimi has gotten better with pacing, uh, uh, senseless. But I think the one unifying thing about the first two Evil Dead movies is they just they are relentless. They mm-hmm. just do not stop. Um, because everything that happens after the Evil Dead is like another, the, the, after the, the tree scene is another jolt. And you're just like, it can't continue to maintain this like ever increasing sense of dread. And it does. And that's why it's so special. A lot of movies made in its wake couldn't <laughs> um, I've seen a lot of movies that are were inspired by Evil Dead that just simply could not do what the Evil Dead did well it's because they it's because they are kind of living in a world where Evil Dead already exists like say what you will technology gets better you can you can do special effects better but there is something about Evil Dead where you watch Evil Dead and you're just like I know it's not real, but my God, I don't know how, how he did it. Like, I know that's claymation, but is it? That last Deadite, like, you forget, too. The beating that Ash takes in this movie is insane. He goes through it. The man is not having a good time. Which, okay, real quick, we're adding a question for this one. Which injury do you think is the worst injury that Ash gets? Because I know which one I would want the, to not have happen to me. Is it the leg? It's the getting stabbed in the Achilles bite with a pencil. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I, pretty bad. I would not like that to happen to me. Please, thank you. No, I, I completely agree. I think it's more the scratching at the leg that really gets me. Because I don't like flesh being torn. It's just not something I'm, I'm like, pro about. Like, whenever that happens, I'm just like, oh, no. Please. I, just I just think it's the pencil. Someone like, that's you're getting an infection. Like you're getting like there's no way around it. That's a lead infection, baby. I think also too, it's weird to say, but the deadites in like two and three are kind of more fun. These deadites have clearly just lost their jobs in hell. And this is like you got <laughs> one more chance to do this whole possession thing right. Someone's gonna read that book in a couple hours. You guys are going up there and you better do it right and they are surly about it like there is not a lot of mirth in these deadites and like not in the sense that they don't enjoy fucking with ash because they do but like they're also just real pricks like to a level where it's like ah you're kind of malevolent they they get real annoying with it they're like really pissed off and i think like they broke up on the wrong side of the bed, or like you said, like they 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 get they got their their boss shoot their ass their asses out, and they're really trying to put the work in. Whereas like the deadites in two and three are just like we're just here to have fun, and I think that that is when I think about it scarier. But these ones just like they just they want they don't feel like they're not gonna let you go because they like took too long. You know what I mean? Like they're there to fucking kill you. I mean, they are there to absolutely wreck your day. 
in most horror movies, you can kind of strike a bargain with certain things. Doesn't really feel like there's bargaining with the deadites. No, no, there's, there's no, they didn't, they don't really want anything other than to, to murder. Your soul. I mean, that's what they want. Well, you know, that involves murder, I believe. Yeah, it's true. I guess that is very, very true. I mean, yeah, I don't need to explain what this is about. Ash and his friends go up for a lovely weekend in a cabin, and that's not what they get. Uh, yeah, they give up. They get a. They nope. <laughs> Nothing lovely, lovely about this. No, not at all. And what else we got? Your favorite scene, Ben. What's your favorite scene? It's kind of hard with this movie to pick a favorite scene, and it's gonna. Be- a similar thing with my number one as well but for different reasons because this movie really doesn't have scenes it all kind of just continuously unfolds but honestly like I would say the scene where they start reading the book which is a dumb fucking decision like who would do that like if that door flipped open that led down to the cellar I would just nail that shit shut I, I would like if it was you me Naomi and Brianna on like a weekend camping trip thing. And like that door flipped open. I would turn to you. I would say, where's your hammer? You'd be like out in the car. I would go out there and we would nail that shut. Not only that, we would then move the couch on top of it. If there was no wind, windless night, and the door just opened, we're packing everything in the fucking yeah, car and we're leaving. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, I'll take it a step further. You're right. <laughs> like, uh-uh, not do I'm not, I'm not even fucking with this. If I found yeah, a tape no, prob- in the basement, that shit is no. that shit is being played when I'm in New York City. No, because that doesn't appear to be a stopping point for it. Like no, that no. no we, if, yeah, if the, I, the 2023 taught us that evil dead can happen anywhere. Oh, you know what I did? I, I actually stayed in a cabin in the woods uh, on my honeymoon, and you know what I did? I looked at all the books, and I was like, I don't want to read any of these. And I don't want to watch any of these movies that they have. Like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, like, Deadites now would be fucked because that cabin would have Wi-Fi. It'd be a yeah. pool out back. Oh, why, why, why would I want to listen to a tape? I got the, got the world the, my fingertips here. I gotta, I gotta play another round of fucking Candy Crush. A tape? What am I, fucking Amish? This isn't happening. Throws it in the fire. Exactly. Deadites are, deadites are like, fuck! No! no, no. We had one more chance. Mr. Johansson's gonna fire us. I haven't seen Evil Dead Rise. Don't don't at me. You haven't seen Evil Dead Rise yet? I've been really I've been really bad about watching movies this year. Oh, dude. I've watched a lot of movies not from this year, but you know. Uh, clearly, yeah. Do yourself a favor, my guy. It I just, just assumed like, it would end up on your list, so. You know, I don't know where it's falling. It like there's been a decent enough movies this year to where it might be just slightly edged out. Yeah, this, this year's been pretty pretty okay so far. It's ironically at number thirteen. <sighs> what you, you, we know why this should be on the list, right? Do we really even have to ask this question? Like I said, it's an important movie. This changed the game for horror. This was a big, big fucking deal when it came out, not only because of like what it did for horror, but also like what it did for the people. Well, two of 
the people in this movie. I don't think I ever saw anyone else in it ever again. But this makes this starts the Bruce Campbell run, and this starts the Sam Raimi run. And I'll tell you right now, guys, those two people are very important to me. And one day we will do a Mount Rushmore more of awesomeness de- uh, dedicated to Sam Raimi. And I'll tell you right now. I don't know if this one makes it on the list, but there's a real good chance Army of Darkness and Evil Dead 2 are both just on my list sitting there because the man makes very, very interesting and important movies, especially for genre. That's, I think that's a very articulate statement. You want to move on to your number two? Uh, yes. Sorry, I was pulling some stuff. I keep saying sorry. I don't know why. I'm just going to... You um... don't need to be sorry. All right. My next film is a West German horror thriller film directed by Erhard Schmitz. Um, about a disturbed teenage girl's obsessive love for a pop star singer named R. It is from 1982, and it was, translates into The Fan. That's right. It is Der Fan. Heute keine Post. Vor drei Wochen habe ich R geschrieben und noch immer keine Antwort. Vielleicht hat er meinen Brief nicht gekriegt. Vielleicht hat ihn irgendeine eifersüchtige Sekretärin unterschlagen, weil sie gespürt hat, dass ich er mehr liebe als sie, dass ich er wirklich liebe. Ich würde er verraten, wenn ich nicht mehr auf seine Briefe warten würde. Ich gehe heute nicht mehr in die Schule. Ich werde in der Stadt herumlaufen. Ich habe mir vorgestellt, dass mich Erin unbesucht, dass wir zusammen hunderte von Münsterstufen hochsteigen, dass das einer der schönsten Augenblicke meines Lebens ist. Da drüben, schöner Blick auf die Altstadt. Ich kann nicht höher rauchen. Auf der ersten Plattform nimmt mich er dann vorsichtig in die Arme. vor Aufregung. Er ist ganz zärtlich. Seine Lippen berühren meine Lippen. Und ich spüre die Spitze seiner Zunge. Ein paar Leute haben mich ganz blöd angestarrt. Touristen. Vielleicht haben sie gedacht, dass ich gleich über die Gitter klettern werde und mich runterstürzen werde. Sie haben richtig gedacht. Das werde ich auch tun, wenn ich nichts von R höre. Aber ich werde nicht einfach runterspringen und tot sein. Zerspritzt über den ganzen Platz. Wenn ich springe, dann nehme ich einen Abschiedsbrief an R mit in den Tod. Dann wird R von mir hören. Dann muss er an mich denken. Dann bin ich ein Teil von ihm geworden. Und er ein Teil von mir. I watched The Evil Dead, and then I watched this. Mm. Luckily, I napped during The Evil Dead, so I was wide awake for this because I had never seen this before. At first, I was about to get the judge back here and be like, this is not a horror movie. Like, I would say I would say three quarters of the movie through, I was like, this is not a horror movie. I mean, you could classify this as like a suspense movie or definitely like a very screwed up drama. And then all of 
of a sudden, that last quarter of the movie starts, and it's like, oh, no, this is a horror movie. This is <laughs> yeah. definitely a horror movie. Oh, oh. oh, it really pulls an audition on you towards the end. Wow, that's a really apt comparison and a really good double for this, actually. Yeah, yeah, that would be if we had to, if we went full double, that would be the double. It's yeah, the it's don't tell double. your friends what either of these movies about are about double. I don't even know which one is worse to end. I think audition's probably worse to end with, but I think yeah. audition has more has a much more vile tone shift <laughs> because you go from being like, well, this guy kind of sucks to like, but like, she's like sawing his leg off to where this one, it's like, she's like obsessive, but this guy sucks. And then you're like, well, that's a bit much, I think. <laughs> well, but here's the other thing too. This movie, I think may end on a darker note than audition. It's pretty bleak. It's, I it's mean, Tyler. That might be being unkind to the word bleak. It's, it's Tyler. It's Tyler picking another bleak movie from his bleak movie list to put on his bleak list of bleak movies. I thought Dead and Buried was a lot of fun. Dead and Buried is a lot of fun. Next of Kin isn't as bleak as the rest of them. I think this might be as bleak as we get. So that's probably why I kept it out of the number one spot. Oh, there you go. Because it's 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 great. It's a great movie. But it is also the type of movie where afterwards you are like, I need to just stare like in a mirror and really evaluate my my life choices. <laughs> you're just sitting there. You just like you're just looking in the mirror. Naomi's like in the other room can hear you. And you're just like, Who the fuck do you think you are? Who do you think you are pulling this shit with me? And I keep yeah. falling for it. Like, <laughs> She's just like she's just like I'm really concerned. I should probably go in there. I watched it with her. She actually also enjoyed it. So that says something about our relationship. I don't think it's that bad. I mean, like you guys seem pretty happy. This girl in this. Mm-hmm. How old is she when this movie's made? Uh. That's me running away and getting in my car because I don't want to answer that question. Because. I feel like she's she pretty young. So this she's born in 65. This is probably made in 81. Mm-hmm. Oh, dude. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other reason why I thought about not not putting this movie on the list is it's real weird. Here, I think, actually, I'm going to send you I'm going to send you a little um been saving Uh-oh. this. Uh-oh. I've been saving this uh this gif. Not Uh-oh. for you necessarily, but I think this will describe it perfectly for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's Steve Carell um with a third of his head chair shaven off uh saying, Wow, that is graphic. <laughs> yep. So where did you first come across this? Okay. The first time I came across this was a different podcast, and I know we're not supposed to talk about podcasts, but nah, it was like ever ago, I think, on like the Pearson and the podcast or something, someone tangentially brought it up. And again, I had it on my, on my watch list forever as just like a movie that I'd heard about. And then a company that actually put out the Blu ray of it, I believe their name is Mondo Macabro, put out like really weird 
stuff from all over the the world put it out they put it out in 2015 and they were having a sale on their it was like half off all their stuff and so i bought that and then i also bought another truly terrible piece of work that was that's more of like a sexploitation like nudie cutie type thing and i'm glad i did because the movie is now sold out so you can't buy it anymore and that might be for the best for frankly like what the movie depicts but yeah i was just like oh i'll just i'll just buy a different because i've i've had it on my watch list for 700 years and so you know now i've finally i should buy it right so yeah yay <laughs> No, no, you're not getting away with it that easily. You tell them what it's about. So it is about a... Uh, she is 15, I believe, in the movie. And I think she's also played by someone who is 16. I think 17 is what I'm... If I'm if I'm getting the dates right here. 16, 17 in Germany at the time. And so she she, she loves this pop singer who's being played by... I believe the name is Bodo Stigall. Yeah, he's the same guy who plays the evil boxer in Boxer's Omen. It's that guy. It's a little young. No, no, no. His name is Bodo (laughs) uh, Steger. Uh, Simone is played by Denise Nusebich, who went on to have a prolific career in acting over in uh, Germany. But the other guy, uh, Bodo Steger, who I think was actually a musician at the time, uh, did not have that big of a career. She loves him. He's a new wave pop star. He is very successful. She listens to nothing but his music and writes him fan letters. The the movie's like very clear. Like she is obsessive. She's like skips class, waits at the post office and hopes that a letter will come for her. She's like just consumed with this fixation. And eventually she meets him. And it turns out he is not a very good guy. He essentially just like realizes that this fan is like super into him and she takes advantage or he takes advantage of her. And yeah, the, the, the movies, you know, her get the end is her getting a bet. Her, 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 she ends up on top. I don't know if I want to spoil that. Yeah, I guess there's ways to spoil it. So. It's an unsettling movie because, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, one of the things that a foreign horror movie can do so well is that a foreign horror movie is more effective because you don't know people in those movies. It's not like, it's like, oh, that's Robert Redford. Cool. I'm still on a safe ground here. Like, this is a fake movie. You watch a movie like this and you're like, I don't know. This might have happened. I don't know, maybe someone had a camera on at the right moment. I don't fucking know. Like, I'm pretty sure it's not, but, like, it's fucking wild. Like, that person, like, it adds a, it adds a sense of realism to it. You 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 kind of go, like, oh, this could be a documentary. I, like, I don't know. Like, that's what made, made the first time I watched Man by Dog so visceral. It's like, fucking, I don't know these people are actors to me. That's the second person in, like, a couple weeks to mention Man by Dog. Maybe I gotta watch this movie. Good movie. She meets this guy, and... Yeah, I don't think we want to say more than that. I think people should have to experience this on their own. Guys, just just a lot. Like, every trigger warning in the book, basically. It's bad. It, it's great. 
<laughs> Which is it, Tyler? Bon voyage! So long! Have fun on the boat! <laughs> You've already shoved off! Goodbye! The only DVD on that boat is, is Durfan! <laughs> You can come back to shore when you've watched her fan. That's your punishment. Oh boy, that's so stupid. I love it. Yeah. Um, it's an amazing performance by her. I will say this. I think the movie's a little slow at moments, but her performance, you're just like, yep, that's what a fucking obsessed fan would look like. Yep, they would do that, wouldn't they? Yeah. She would not handle uh, certain things well. And you know it's the last like two minutes that truly bring it home. Yeah. 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 That, that, when's the, the last like narration of the letter. Yeah. Really gets you. It does. What is your favorite scene in it? I do love the opening where you kind of get us like the movie is like attempting to get a sense of this, of her. And you have like the, the interplay between the, like post officer and and her and you get the sense that like they do this like every day <laughs> you <laughs> like, love that this, relationship like, when she just takes his whole bag and is like fuck your letters it's like they don't like each other clearly but it's like ah I'll see you tomorrow greg like ah, i'll see you tomorrow it's simone you know what i mean like this is weird <laughs> begrudging like they're just like it's like two people two rascals in a never-ending struggle i think that that's funny to me anyway do you remember the episode where bart buys the spy camera through the mail yeah i do i love that episode and like he opens the door he goes where's my spy and the woman goes where's my spy camera where's my spy camera for the past four weeks you've been asking where's my spy camera here's your spy camera like that's the letter with her Pretty much. It's not, like, funny. Like, it's not laugh-out-loud funny, but this movie just has, like, a lot of great character building that it that makes the final act so horrific and devastating at the same time. But more importantly, because it's so devastating, why else does it deserve to be on the list? I think it's, it's really under... It's under scene, and it just... It was an emotionally devastating piece of work. Boy, howdy, is it? Yeah, you you are tired after that movie. I can't remember what we... Let me look. We went to go see something in theaters that night. And I was just so happy not to be watching Durfan. Oh, we went and saw Army of Darkness right after. I was like, oh, this is so much nicer. <laughs> oh, there's this production values, and it's not even about production values. Uh, I don't give no a shit about that. No one's, no one's fifteen. That's oh, great. No yeah. one's seventeen. I mean, oh, look at you, M. Beth Davis, hot and legal, exactly the way I like them. <laughs> there is so much like underage nudity in that movie. Like, P.S. Guys, just like, just know that. Like, it's. Listen, it's not great. But it's also not doing it for shock value. There is a purpose to it. It I think it I'm not gonna say it like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be the one to to say, hey, this one gets the pass, because I don't really believe in that, but 
I don't know. The movie, the movie's, I'll the movie's say it for good. You. Tyler says it should get the pass. No, ah, I'll say here. Oh, ah, no. Ah, jeez. <laughs> no, he's not right. But no, there, there is an effective reason for it. And you got anything else you want to say about Durfan? It's good. It made me feel gross, but it's it's great. Yeah, it is a sleazy movie. Sleazy. Uh, you ready to move on? Yeah. We're here, ladies and gentlemen. The number one movie on my list of the early 80s. And a lot of you are probably saying, wonder what this could be. Feels like he's going to go for something really obvious. And you would be right. And about three movies ago, when we were talking about Gremlins, I asked the question, is Steven Spielberg not only at one point the greatest director of all time, but was he the greatest producer of movies and picking movies of all time? And I don't think any movie clearly more exemplifies and points this out than a movie that he wrote along with Michael Grias and Mark Victor in 1982 about a family named the Freelings you know, typical nuclear family, mom, dad, two and a half kids, a dog. And one day in their little development where the dad works as a real estate guy selling houses and, you know, they live there because you sell what you know and you sell what you believe in. They start to get some uh, pretty spooky things going on in the house. And it starts to become aware that maybe someone else is there. And this is the 1982 movie starring Joe Beth Williams, Craig T. Nelson, Heather O'Rourke, Dominique Dunn, Oliver Robbins, Beatrice Strait, and Zelda Rubenstein as Tangia. This is Toby Hooper, and yes, it is Toby Hooper's movie, because like Tyler wrote in his review on Letterboxd, anyone who thinks this is not a Toby Hooper movie has never obviously seen another Toby Hooper movie. This is 1982's Poltergeist. There is no death. It is only a transition to a different sphere of consciousness. Carol Ann is not like those she's with. She is a living presence in their spiritual earthbound plane. They're attracted to the one thing about her that's different from themselves. Her life force It is very strong. It gives off its own illumination. It is a light that implies life and memory of love and home and earthly pleasures. Something they desperately desire but can't have anymore. Right now, she's the closest thing to that. And that is a terrible distraction from the real light that has finally come for them. Do you understand me? These souls, who for whatever reason are not at rest, are also not aware that they have passed on. They're not part of consciousness as we know it. They linger in a perpetual dream state. A nightmare from which they cannot wake. Inside the spectral light is salvation. 
window to the next plane. They must pass through this membrane where friends are waiting to guide them to new destinies. Caroline must help them cross over and she will only hear her mother's voice. There's one more thing. A terrible presence is in there with her. So much rage, so much betrayal. I've never sensed anything like it. I don't know what hovers over this house, but it was strong enough to punch a hole into this world and take your daughter away from you. It keeps Caroline very close to it and away from the spectral light. It lies to her. It says things only a child can understand. It has been using her to restrain the others. To her, it simply is another child. To us, it is the beast. Now let's go get your daughter. Right? I've been putting this movie off since we've started this podcast because I didn't know when we would talk about it, but I knew when we would, it would be a big moment. And not to be funny, but it's here. <laughs> I watched the 4K of this. I bet that was gorgeous looking. Um, and it looks oh, great. Oh, wait, what am I saying? We saw that in theaters last year. Oh, nice. Yeah, for her birthday. We went to dinner, and she's, she's such a sweetheart. I, I told her, I said, hey, I know it's your birthday. I said, but they're playing Poltergeist in 4K, like, on a big screen. And she goes, we can go. And I said, cool. I said, whatever you want to do the next two days, all you. I said, I just need to see this movie. And it was funny. We were the most nicely dressed people, like, because we went to a nice dinner beforehand. <laughs> So it looked like we got dressed up to go see Poltergeist. <laughs> like I was wearing like a collared shirt and a tie. And it was just so funny because it was just like, it, like in my mind, I was like, this is why I got dressed up. Not for that bullshit restaurant. It was to watch Poltergeist. It may have been the same fucking video trip. I got this at the same major video where I got Gremlins. And I will tell you, Gremlins did not scare me. This fucking scared the shit out of me. I gotta, I'm going to be really honest with you. I turned on the 4K and I got really high. And I was like, it's Poltergeist. It's PG. Whatever. And when that fucking face came out of the thing, yeah, it's bad CGI. Yeah, it looks stupid. But I was like, oh, man, I'm actually feeling way more scared than I thought I would. <laughs> That's one of them. I'd say um, the other thing about it, too is how much you don't see in poltergeist very true i think what makes this versus the other poltergeist not work is that this one lays off just kind of like holds and holds and holds when you do see something it doesn't break the illusion yeah 
I think I do know what you mean. Like, it shows you that room. But the room, with all the floating stuff, is, isn't supposed to be scary. It's just supposed to be cool. And so you're like, okay, well, that's kind of interesting. And then you hear Carol Ann. And then you're, like, emotionally invested. You're like, oh, my God, like, what's going to happen next? And then the guy fucking rips his face off. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, like, <laughs> it gets you closer and closer and closer to the screen. And then it's like, oh, here's actually something that, that is actually horrifying. And then you go back down. It, it builds back up slowly and slowly and slowly. And then it pays off again with, like, the bodies coming out of the pool. I don't want to spend the bulk of this conversation about Poltergeist litigating all the bad things that happened and all the things that may have attributed to the curse of these movies. I just want to talk about Poltergeist itself. People, you can read about that shit on your own time. It is fascinating how many people have, like, gone down who were associated with this movie and, like, all the things on set and everything. Not Craig T. Nelson, though, man. Craig T. Nelson fucking... Can't... Just a ship in the night. <laughs> Can't stop Mr. Incredible, all I'm going to say. Just keeps going. I don't know, Joe Beth Williams still around? Yes. I know that Zelda Rubenstein had a a long career. Mostly seems it's the kids. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. That's the the problem, I think. Yeah, it really, really is. So, one of the things that absolutely just takes this movie to another level is that they do something where they... Like, if you see this movie as a kid, this movie is vastly more effective, I think, than if you see it as an adult. Because if you see it as a kid, you sit there and you're like, fuck, the poltergeist could take me. It seems like it's really only interested in children. Like, it seems like it's got a real youth thing going for it. And I'm a youth. This is not good. I agree with you 100%. I was just reading the Wikipedia page of Poltergeist looking for other things to talk about. Well, get back here. <laughs> sorry. Uh, sorry. I When I got the cramps, I smoked a little bit of weed so that the cramps would go away. And so I think now it's just no, I'm, I'm, I'm tired and a little stoked. So <laughs> I'm no, back. I'm back. I'm here to talk. Where, where are we at? You first. You rented this. You, have we told them what the, what it's about? There's this family called the Freelings, and the, the worst part is there ain't a shitty one in the bunch. Like, all the Freelings are great. I fucking love the older sister, Dana. She's such a shit to every single person, including those construction workers. You got the middle kid, Robbie. I sat there, and I looked at that kid, and I was like, how come I don't have a fucking Star Wars Han Solo model gun that makes noise? I was like, where was my fucking childhood? And then, like, you realize, well... You were terrorized by ghosts and a rape clown, too. So, you know, it's not that bad. Yeah. And Uh, then you have Carol Ann, the sweetest little girl in the world. I think you could, if you you squint hard enough, Freeling, the way they spell it, kind of looks like, could it be? It kind of looks like Spielberg. It kind of looks like the the Freemans? Is that? The Fableman? Is that the Fableman's? Is that, well, they were just, ha- they were haunted by tragedy. They were haunted by tragedy. I'm, all I'm saying is that it's a little bit of wish fulfillment there, Stephen. Well, he writes from what he knows. <laughs> he writes from what um, he knows. Yeah, he just wants a family, yeah. a family where the dad, where the <laughs> dad and the mom stay together. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's okay. true. Continue. Continue. That, whole, that whole fucking movie. Spielberg is going to fuck you up. And by that, so, I mean, he's going to hire two large men to 
fuck you up. He's, he's, he's gonna kick my ass. Like you know, the idea that it's Spielberg kicks your ass too. Like it's not. It's not someone he hired. You know. Yeah, it's true. It's, yeah, no, Spielberg himself is a roundhouse kick. I just, you know, he just you got takes two... his shirt off and he's just jacked. <laughs> you got two. You got the two daughter siblings and the middle brother. I, you know, the parents in this movie. It's pretty. I think it's pretty easy to get kids to be kids in movies. But for me to buy that two people are married and have had two and have had three kids and that they care about those kids, that's a performance. This is like low key one of my favorite ensemble cast performances. Yeah. Craig T. Nelson is really good in this. I think Joe Beth Williams is also really good in this too. That scene where she, where she's talking to them, like the first time where Dr. Lesh comes over with Marty and Ryan, and there's that moment where like she's talking, where Joe Beth Williams is talking to the to the TV set, and then you hear Carol Ann scream out, and Joe Beth Williams goes, Bastard, she's just a baby! And you're just like, you're just like, oh man, you care about that kid. Like you feel so bad for Joe Beth Williams. Yeah, I mean, the movie does a yeah, no, you're right. The movie does a great job of foregrounding the characters and like before you even realize it's a ghost movie, just like making you be like, oh yeah, no, I I've been in a petty argument with my neighbor. Or like, oh yeah, like I've had a I've had a fucking like boys over to watch football. Well, and not just that though, it slow burns you. Cause at first, like I'd say the first 10 minutes, there's really nothing different. Like, yeah, Carol Ann has like the moment where she's talking to the TV, but you can play that shit off as like that's fucking weird. And like, yeah, there's a couple of other weird things, but like even when like they put Carol Ann in that space and it moves her across the floor. Like you're still not freaked out. Cause you're like, well, this is kind of fun. Like, and it's a Spielberg written movie. It's probably like a friendly ghost, like ET. And then it's fucking not like, and then it fucking takes Carol Ann and she's just gone. And the rest of the movie is like one family's quest to get their kid back. Yeah. And it's great. Oh, it's, it's so it's, good. It's so good. And like, the fucking people who show up to help, like, you say to yourself, like, and I don't want to use this, like, I don't want to say it this way, but it's the only way I can say it, like, who are you going to fucking call? They get, like, two fucking college nerds and, like, a fucking old woman who's, like, a parapsychologist. And then it's like, okay, well, we're, cl-. and, like, I'll say it, too, funniest moment, maybe, maybe top ten funniest moments in a movie is where one of the guys goes... I actually uh, recorded a toy car moving across this thing. However, it was so slow, you had to put it on time-lapse film. And Craig T. Nelson gives him a look of, oh, that's cute, come here, and opens up the door to the bedroom, and you just see all that shit flying around. And then you're just like, and then they realize, oh, fuck, we need to get more people. Who are we going to get? We're going to get some big, strong guy to come in here? No, they get Zelda fucking Rubenstein to show up as Tangia, this little diminutive psychic who is just giving S all the way, but also is like the most effective fighter of this shit. Who's like, no, no, I have touched. I have been touched by the other side. I can help you get your data back. Like that sequence where she kind of gives the speech about like what they're up against. And you're like, why do you know so much? Like, <laughs> but also you buy it. 
Yeah, it's really good at what it does, which is... I mean, you get a sense that definitely Spielberg had a pretty heavy hand in this. But this also... I don't know. I think the 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 humor that comes from like the Zelda Rubenstein stuff and the like ragtag, I think that's all kind of like Hooper shit, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think the reason I think it is a Hooper movie is that it is one of those things where like it's got this, it's got this real sense of like unseen eeriness like texas chainsaw massacre has this too where it's like until he chooses like hooper's sitting there with his hand over the show them button and like it's like any scene where people are charging in a movie and they're gonna like put up the spears to fucking knife the people charging and he's just like wait for it wait for it and then at the last moment he hits the show you button and when he does it's fucking scary like you don't really see that much in Poltergeist. I think the most you see is that giant skull come out of the bedroom. You see the bodies at the end. And, like, you see the guy tear his face off. And you see the meat, like, crawling across the ground or across the counter, too. But that's it. It's mostly just a lot of bumps and, like, moving like moving stuff. <sighs> it's just so good. I, I want to be watching Poltergeist in my brain at all times. You know what I mean? It is a top five horror movie of all time, but it might be like a top 50 movie of all time. Like, and it's like in the bottom half of top 50. It's like in the, it's in like 25 to one somewhere. Top 50 all time is maybe a bit much, but it is certainly, I think out of all of the movies that we have on our list, I think it's the one where if you had like had to put a gun to my head and be like, pick a crowd pleaser. <laughs> yeah. Pick like a big tent pole movie that like you can kind of bring anybody to. I don't or know if it's a like, number one movie, but it was strong enough to punch a hole in this world and it, take your data. It was. It was. I Like, it's so good. When she says, let's go get your daughter back, and, like, and you're going to hear the clip, guys, because I'm basically playing that whole speech from Zelda Rubenstein. Also, too, like, the shit she gives Craig T. Nelson, where he's like, I was trying to answer her with my mind. And she goes, I don't like trick answers. And you're just like, oh, shit, it's real. It's all real. And the only thing that really hurts Poltergeist is that none of the sequels are good. None of the sequels are good. I mean, I, I gassed up my boy Gary Sherman. I, I, I spoke over Poltergeist 2 because it's not really a good, it's not a movie. It doesn't really exist. Poltergeist 2 is bad. And I and see, Poltergeist 2 used to scare me with that old man a lot more than like almost anything in Poltergeist 1. But like Poltergeist 2 now is just silly. I haven't seen it in a long time. And I know Poltergeist 3 is just weird. It's like not even, it's nothing. Yeah, I don't think I've actually ever seen Poltergeist 3. So that's, maybe, maybe that's check it out. That's the one with Gary Sherman. What's Poltergeist 2 then? Excuse oh, me. The Poltergeist 2 has a, lot of, has a lot of Native American like stuff in it that just doesn't work. Also, too, none of them have Toby Hooper, which is another example of why this movie clearly is good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Toby Hooper is good. Yeah. Toby Hooper, even Toby Hooper's like bad movies are like really, they're fun. Yeah, he's at least at doing something. With, um, um, did we go over your favorite scene? The start of the movie till when the credits were on, and then I started again. Uh, like, but if you're asking for like a chunk of that scene, 
I would say when Zelda Rubenstein shows up and gives that speech about like what's going on in the house and you're just like, you're just, you're transfixed by her. That or when um, Dr. Lesh gives that speech to Robbie and the mom about like what's like what she thinks is going and the way he lights her face. Like we, we watched that scene the other morning when I thought we were going to do this all in one shot. And I was, I was pointing it out to her. I said, watch the way they light her face. I said like, they almost scare you by how she explains things to you. Like the movie's scary explanation. Not many movies can do that. I also think what makes Poltergeist so good and why it it it, it la- has lasted for so long is that it's it feels like a movie that is scary like it like it was intentionally made to be scary to children. But because it was meant to be scary to children, it like makes us all kind of children when you watch it. Does that make sense? So it, it's a whip smart script too. Yeah, like, it's really it's a really good script. You sit there for like, I would say three quarters of that movie, and you're like, boy, you know, I gotta be honest, these ghosts are being real pricks for no reason. Oh, they didn't move the bodies. They are not wrong at all. Like you, you kind of sit there as an audience member, and you're like, no, those ghosts are right. Actually, they did they did everything right. Like if they had just moved the bodies, probably none of this happens. And we get a visit from someone from my number two of last year. Do we now? We do. Um, from the Return of the Living Dead, we get uh, uh, the guy who runs the Kula Vista suburb complex, like the, the land guy. That is James Kieran, who was in Return of the Living Dead. He plays the one of the he plays Frank Johnson, plays one of the guys who runs the warehouse. The toxic gas comes oh, out. Oh shit, he does. He is he in does play. He so does. much. James Karen. Oh my god, look at this look at this guy's filmography. Yeah. China Syndrome, Wall Street, even the pursuit of happiness he's in for some reason. He's in Mall and Drive. Yes, he is. I pop every time I see him. He's also he followed Mulholland Drive up with a movie called A House on Haunted Hill or A House on a Hill, a movie I've never heard of. Wild. Other movies that I shouldn't talk about because it was made by a nonce. I think I've said everything I need to say outside of the fact that like this is the best horror movie of the early 80s for me. And I think it is infinitely rewatchable. Like, I've probably seen this movie like 10, 15 times in my life. I'll probably watch it another five to seven before I'm off this world. Let's move on to your number one. I've said everything uh, I need to say about Poltergeist. My number one, I feel like a good list of horror movies in the 80s would not be complete you know you're looking around maybe like tyler where's the giallo where's the fulci where is where's the argento and i'm like i'm here for you i'm here for you all right i got you i got you i got you of course of course there has to be an argento of course there has there has to be a giallo and that is of course because i'm waiting for my number one to put the 1980 supernatural horror film written and directed by Dario Argento, starring Irene Miracle, Lee McCloskey, Elgilerina Giatti, Diana Nicoli, and Aldo Valli. It's, of course, Inferno. The three mothers.
price I shall have to pay for breaking what we alchemists call silentium. The life experiences of our colleagues should warn us not to upset laymen by imposing our knowledge upon them. I, Varelli, an architect living in London, met the three mothers and designed and built for them three dwelling places. One in Rome, one in New York, and the third in Freiburg, Germany. I failed to discover until too late that from those three locations, the three mothers ruled the world with sorrow, tears, and darkness. Meta Suspiriorum, the mother of sighs and the oldest of the three, lives at Freiburg. Meta Lacrimarum, the mother of tears and the most beautiful of the sisters, holds rule in Rome. Meta Tenebrarum, the mother of darkness, who is the youngest and cruelest of the three, controls New York. And I built their horrible houses, the repositories of all their filthy secrets. Those so-called mothers are actually wicked stepmothers, incapable of creating life. Infamous. So, Inferno. Inferno. Not the most confounding Argento movie. No, it's pretty... It's pretty... There's... So little plot that it's almost impossible to make it uh, be uh, impo- like so densely intertwined. It's just, it's very simple. It's shit's fucking haunted. <laughs> there's, there's the evil. There's the three mother stuff. Like that kind of plays into it. But like it's, it's just, it's mostly just set dressing. I mean. If you watch this in Suspiria, like Suspiria makes this look seem downright coherent. So, because I don't know what the fuck's going on in Suspiria. I've seen both versions of Suspiria. I'm still not sure I know what's going on there. What I like about Suspiria is that the plot kind of doesn't make sense. I could explain it to you. I could explain that it's a witch's coven and the head witch is a, you know, a 200 year old witch that lives up like in the basement. I could explain that to you, but like the movie doesn't really want to. This is like there's like a book and a building, and there's like two people. Like I think the, the there's a guy and a girl trying to figure it out, and then everything else that happens, it like makes sense in the in the in the movie, but it's just it's all vibes. Like this is just a purely like a vibe centric horror film. <laughs> You think so, huh? Yeah. I had to wake up with the cat Saturday morning of last week, and I'm going to drink some water. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to walk around, and I'm going to watch this. And I did, and I stayed awake through the whole thing. But, yeah, you are not wrong. It is, like, it is so irrelevant as to what the plot is. It feels like it's just an excuse for him to show you really beautiful set pieces with just, like, absolute horror yeah the movie what i i think it maintains it was like argento was like all right i want to make like another suspiria but like i kind of don't want to do any of the plot stuff i just kind of want to just make the scenes and it it's i part of me does wish argento just made like a just like an all set piece movie just to see like what that would be about but like this movie's color palette and this movie's like tone and mood and just table dressing is i to me 
some of the best work that Argento ever did, which is crazy because there's rumors that Argento didn't even do all of it. That like Bava, Mario Bava, who assisted in the special effects and stuff like that shortly before he passed away, actually directed some scenes. That is unknown. Argento hasn't said anything about it. A couple actors have said stuff. But like, I don't know. When I think Argento in my mind, like, I think of this, and I think of some of the, like, I, but I, I envision it with, like, the Suspiria 4K. You know what I mean? I really genuinely wish the world is a worse place for not having this in higher definition. <laughs> I'm sure someday someone will put it out. Got it, right? I mean, this is part of a trilogy, right? Like, it just seems like they're leaving. I mean, granted, people are so much less not about collecting, like, physical media, but I feel like they're leaving money on the table not giving you, what is it, the Three Mothers trilogy? Yeah, I am I mean, there are people who like the third one. I don't know. It's been a very long time. You're not one of them, but people do. Um, yeah, it's part of the the Three Mothers trilogy. Um, so it's this Suspiria and Mothers of Mother of Tears. It's the other one. Yeah, I've seen two now. Um, so I guess there's that. I've not seen that third one, but honestly, like I like this one. I think better than Suspiria. Actually, I, I like. I understand why this is your number one because this is like just pure Tyler, like Tyler stuff where it's like if there were two people on a plane and like one had a shirt that said plot and the other had a shirt that said vibes and you had a bullet for only one of them, you've just shot plot in the chest and pushed him out of the plane. <laughs> and then you and like you and vibes are just embracing making out like while, <laughs> while plot falls to his death. I think plot is overrated. I think vibes are, are where it's at. I think that's more important. I could watch a movie with the best plot in the world, but if the vibes are rancid, I don't want it. That's fair. So, where did you first come across this? So, many, 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 many years ago, me and, at the time, my girlfriend, she's now my wife, had our very first Christmas. My wife didn't know what to get me, so I was just like, oh, here's like all the things on my Amazon wish list. And... I mean, it was my birthday, but she brought me a gift that was my favorite candy bar, like like a full pack of my favorite candy bar, which is which at the time were uh, mounds. You know what mounds are? Ooh. Yeah, it's the oh, uh, well. coconut and almond. It's the almond joy, but without the almond. Oh, is it just all? Is it just coconut? Yeah, it's just it's just coconut and like dark chocolate. Oh, there you go. Yeah, mounds. So yeah, she got me a bunch of mounds, and she got me a book, and she got me a a DVD of Inferno. And I've cherished it ever since. Um, I still have the DVD. I got rid of the box long ago, because I I don't have boxes for any of my old DVDs anymore. So it, you know, is a cherished item. I've kept it with me through move after move after move after move until now we are here. And so maybe that, maybe that is the reason why it got bolstered just a little bit. But I do really love Inferno. I do think it's, like, probably, like, eh, it's close to my favorite, Argento. 
Yeah, I can see that. I can see that being being a reason why. It's weird that like this horrifying has like cute nostalgia attached to it for you, but okay. What is it about? And I'm not just asking for the question. I'm genuinely curious. So the Mother of Tears is this like overarching witch trilogy. So there's a book called the Suspiria de, de Profundus, which is a real book from the 1800s. Inspiration comes from partly from uh, Thomas de Quincey's work called Suspiria de Profundus, which is like a collective of epic poems and essays. And the concept essentially comes from the, the, the ladies of sorrow, which are like these kind of similar to the fates in Greek mythology. And so they are like tied to uh, gesturing kind of wildly. They kind of relate to some of like the badder aspects of life. And essentially this one, I believe is, I think Latrum is the mother of tears. And then you have Suspiriorium and then matter tenumbrium. And I think this is the, that one. Anyway, that's all beside the point. Because this is a movie about Rose and Mark Elliott, played by Irene Miracle and Lee McCloskey, who are who live in New York. Um, there's like a building that like underneath someone buys a okay. Someone buys a book called The Mother of Tears. In the book is written the book is written by an alchemist named Varielli and tells of three evil sisters. <sighs> And then in Rome, there's one of the, the someone is being urged to visit. Look, I don't know. I don't know what the movie's about. I don't understand any of this. It's just, it's really cool. Aha! I knew you didn't know what it was about. Bastard. No. It is unsettling. Especially if you're watching it at like 6.45 in the fucking morning. And, like, you've just gotten up and, like, the cats are still, like, kind of mewing at you. And you're just like, hey, hey, I gotta watch, I gotta watch this Argento movie. Because your Uncle Tyler is, like, on one about it. And you're just sitting there and you're like, I don't know. The thing is, too, like, it kind of, like, it startles you. It's more startling than scary to me. It's like a spooky haunted house. But, like, if a spooky haunted house was also, like, art deco and <laughs> and also insanely beautiful to look at. Boy, howdy, that's true. What is your favorite scene? That first, like, long set piece where it's, like, someone is going into, like, the basement and something, like, rolls into the into the water and then you have her, like, digging into the water mm. and you think someone's going to come up and get her and you have, like, all of these, like, different aspects that kind of play and mingle with each other. I w remember watching that the first time and just, like, I went from, like, slouching in my, my chair to, like, sitting, like, bolt upright, like, staring at the screen like I was watching a fucking, like, like the end of Game 7 of the World Series. Like, I was so focused. It was crazy. Yeah, that's fair. I do like that opening scene. Because you keep, because, like, that's the thing Argento might do better than almost anyone else, is he plays with expectations. Because you're like, well, someone's going to come up and fucking drown her ass, or they're going to put, like, like, a cover over that fucking hole where she came into, and, like, she's going to drown under there. But yeah, exactly. Don't. Like you keep like, thinking, like, "Oh God, all this horrible thing," and then eventually it does like lead to like a shock scare. But by that point, 
you're just so relieved to have the tension cut that you're just like, okay, like I'm not even mad. Like I'm just like, man, come on. Also, my dog just started barking. So if you hear that, then that's what that is. I I, I take it she's home. No, she's been home the entire time. He just wants to go for a walk. Oh, what an ass! Tell him to wait. <laughs> Sorry, this is this is to quote the Goonies. This is my time. I'll Got him. Where does this fall for you with Argento? Not just with this trilogy, but like, where does this fall for you with Argento? To me, I think it falls pretty high. I do think Suspiria is probably my favorite Argento. I don't know if I'm speaking out of out of class there. I do really like Deep Red. I was about to say, really, that uh, does Deep Red for you, because I think that's mine. I also love Tenebra, and I think this is part of his, like, golden run, where it's, like, Deep Red, Suspiria, Inferno, Tenebra, fucking Phenomena, and then you kind of hit, like, Opera, and you're like, okay. You got two <laughs> evil eyes. You're like, eh... And then trauma is where most people hop off, but I love trauma. I think trauma is fucking fantastic. But uh, yeah, we we did trauma, right? We did trauma. You've seen trauma. Yeah, we did trauma. trauma. And you know, I go back and forth on whether I really like Tenebrae or not. I think Tenebrae is fucking it, that. I love Tenebrae, but I think my I think my if you had to go top three, I think it's Inferno, Suspiria, Deep Red, in in okay. in, in, in an order that can change at any moment. It's it's a shifting. It's whatever you're in the mood for. I think it's whatever I watched last. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. And most importantly, why does it deserve to be on this list? Outside of your love for Naomi and movies she got you. Oh, thank you. I think it's kind of like a forgotten Argento, just because it's like it it hasn't had an American release of fairly high quality um, since like 2007, 2008 is seen as like the middle piece of a, of a trilogy that like people are like, well, the trilogy end is like kind of bad. And, 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 you know, people are just getting into Suspiria, but they're not connected. So there's no reason to watch the second movie. You know what I mean? There's no reason to go, Hey, Suspiria was great. Like we should go watch the next movie because the trilogy doesn't connect. So I think this movie kind of falls through the cracks of even people who love Suspiria. They like I don't like. Oh, have you seen Inferno? Nah, you know. So, I think personally, people should check out Inferno. It's it is much more. It's a lot less confusing than Suspiria, and it keeps the production values. I'll just keep. I'll just say that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I buy that, and I agree with that. Well, there we are. We've done it. We've done our top 10 of the early 80s in horror. And I came up with a little idea. So to finish this up, now that we've completed this list, we are going to go back and for the first time ever, we are going to make a master list. Because as you guys know, the 90s only had one group of of movies. But the 80s we had to split up because it was so rich in text. And now we're going to make a master list of both of our lists, taking all movies from each of our lists from or from last year, from 85 to 89 and from this year, from 80 to 84. And we're going to make a big super list Before that. We're going to count down and talk about and remind everyone what we talked about this year. Uh, so right. do you want to start us off? Yeah, I'll do. Do you want to are we going to I'm just going to go through my 10 to one and then you go through your 10 to one. Yeah. And then we. OK, perfect. 
So from 10 to 1, uh, I have at number 10, Angst. At number 9, I have Extro. Number 8, Next of Kin. Number 7, Bloodbeat. Number 6, Boarding House. A lot of Bs in my list, I'm now realizing. Number 5, <laughs> Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. At number 4, Dead and Buried. At number 3, Boxer's Omen. At number 2, The Fan, also known as Durfan. If you look up The Fan from that year, you will not find it. You will find a different movie from America, so look up Durfan. And at number 1, Inferno. Oh, that was the joke I fucking forgot to make. I can't believe Robert De Niro pulled off playing that little girl in the remake. The fan. No, no, I'm laughing. Boy, That's just my 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 wife just walked into the room. So uh, fair, fair enough. My wife. For my for <laughs> for my ten to one. At number ten, you have an American Werewolf in London. At number nine, you have Sleepaway Camp. At number eight, you have Q the Winged Serpent. At number seven, you have The Dead Zone. At number six, you have Creep Show. At number five, you have Maniac. At number four, you have Gremlins. At number three, you have Children of the Corn. At number two, you have The Evil Dead. And at number one, you have Poltergeist. Now, Tyler, I say we just go back and forth. We'll count them down, tens together, nines, and so on and so forth. Are we going to publish our, our, these lists, or are we just expecting them to go back and to know what they are? <laughs> oh, that's not. No, no. They, they, here's the thing. The, anything that anything that's not mentioned that's from the previous one, it's fine. We'll, it's fine. Okay. We'll get. Yeah. That's fine. Okay. Perfect. I just I just wanted I just wanted to make sure before I went. All right. At my number ten, I have Dead and Buried. At my number ten, I had to put a Cohen movie on there. I have the stuff. Oh, yeah, you're so right. At my number nine, I have Beyond Dreams Door. You fucking weirdo. Fucking weirdo. At my number nine, it won't be ignored, Dan. I have Fatal Attraction. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, at my number eight, I have Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. Drink it! <laughs> Justice for Susan Tyrell. More of her. <laughs> Justice for Susan uh, Tyrell. At my number eight, we have a movie that you can pick up on the highways and byways. We have The Hitcher. Always forget that the Hitcher, like, ah, I always forget how good the the Hitcher is. My number seven is Brian Usna's Society. Speaking of screaming, Mad George, my number seven is everyone's favorite holiday, April Fool's Day. Oh right, April Fool's Day. I saw that the other day. There was like a sequel or they made another movie called April Fool's Day in like the 2000s. I'd like stay away from it from something. what I hear. From what I hear, it's not yeah. very good. Um, my number six, I have Boxer's Omen. My number six, I have Children of the Corn. At my number five, I have Return of the Living Dead. At my number five, I have The Evil Dead. Interesting. At my number four, I have Evil Dead Trap. Huh. Weird. At my number four, I have Tetsuo the Iron Man. What a, hold on. Close my eyes. What a picture. It's so good. <laughs> I'm thinking about ruining everyone's summer next year and putting that on as the movie. Oh, you should. At my number three, I have Inferno. 
At my number three, I have the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. At my number two, I have Angst. At my number two, I have Poltergeist. My number one, I have The Vanishing. And at my number one, I have The Evil Dead 2. Really, it's a knife fight between Toby Hooper and Sam Raimi for who's my who's the biggest domination of the 80s for me. Yeah, that's damn. I was going to say, we haven't even gotten to the 70s where he made like three movies. Yeah, well, I mean, shit, between the two of them, they hold four of the five top spots. And that's just because Tetsuo the Iron Man is just a fucking madman's like journey into like perfection. Aren't you glad I shared that movie to you? Yeah, it's probably if we're picking one day, we'll figure it out. One day we'll do a list and I'll name you the 10 best movies that you have turned me on to that I didn't know about before this podcast. That's probably in there. If not, like, I don't know, maybe top three. Like, I'd really have to think about it. But going back throughout all the movies, it would probably be it would probably be pretty, pretty high on that list. Oh, thank you, everyone, for listening. This is a big, long one, I'm sure. I've got a lot of editing to do still. Yeah, you guys can check us out uh, here. I don't know what we're doing next, but uh, Tyler and I are going to discuss that. We'll probably come back in November at some point. And I don't know. I don't think it's going to be every week, but it might be by it might be bi-monthly. Yeah, bi-monthly. And we're going to change stuff up, I think weekly yeah it's probably a new format we'll have a whole i mean we're not gonna go over it well you'll 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 see it when you see yeah it's not your business you just know that you're getting a free show still and for twgtf two white guys talking foam i've of course been your host ben and i've been ricky angela <laughs> I didn't see that coming. That was good. Yeah, and remember, a whole guys, show. You... we had a whole show for that one. <laughs> and remember, guys, if you come to our little video box around the way and you see a woman packing two kids in very short shorts lunches, well, be nice to Angela because she'll get you. Eat shit and die, Ricky. Eat shit and live, Bill. Talking, 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 talking.